episode 99 of Zapped to the Past. I am Adrian Mills and I'm joined as always by Mr. Graham Raddings. If you haven't listened before, this is a podcast where we discuss games that were released for the Commodore 64. We are using the magazine Zap 64 as a monthly guide for the games to focus on, but we are in no way affiliated with Zap 64 itself. This week, we start our look at September 1988, and the first batch of games reviewed in issue 41 of Zap 64, along with what was also going on in the UK albums chart that month. The Graham, there are games to behold this week. Tell us of them. In this plate of mixed artisan breads and delicious home-churned butter of an episode, we wake up surrounded by dangerous trumpets in the dizzy skyscrapers of New York on a mission to look inconspicuous and seek revenge, potentially, in the dazzling and thumpy Lassinger 2, back with a vengeance. Explore the origin of many computer game adventures in the well-designed but scrappy version of the classic Unix system game Rogue, Head into the endless, though seemingly well-illuminated, pine tree forests of somewhere or other, all completely in the dark, apparently, for some bendy nighttime driving in Night Racer, and blast a whole bunch of stuff from all kinds of angles and perspectives in the very crammed-in world of Typhoon. If refrigerated butter is ever presented to you, and it's quite hard to spread, throw it back in their face and say, Valamagulis. We also clack our keyboards, listen to some weird news-like audio, and read a whole load of text as we try and fathom the complexities of The President is Missing. Jump on a scooter, not dressed as a ninja, or possibly dressed as a ninja. Did ninjas have scooters? We don't know. It's not really important. What is important is that we try and smash our way through the pointless obstacles of Ninja's Scooter Simulator, explore the multi-screen adventure-strewn world of an egg, and avoid any kind of greased insertions in the magical and hopefully lubricated world of Dizzy before finally grabbing our best football kit and boots, throwing them on the floor because we don't need them, and exploring the binary options of the team boss in Football Manager 2. Ninjas, they're everywhere this week. Now remember, ninjas are trained martial artists and scooter experts, apparently. You are not. Do not try to imitate them. That's as And then they were beholden. (laughs) The games have been beholden. (laughs) They have. They're beholden to something, all right, this week. I'm not Mm. quite sure what. Are you saying, is it more usual 1988 fair? I feel it may be. Well... It started in July and it went till August. <laughs> now we're in September and it's going to be the same. <laughs> I've got Yay. a funny feeling. I've got, well, I don't want to ruin anything, but yes, <laughs> yeah, there are things. There are things afoot, and this, you know, maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know. There is. Tunnel. Yeah. It's long a very time. long tunnel. There's not much light in this one. Anyway, before we get into those things, it is, as ever, our duty to discuss the cover. It is. So the cover this month features uh, one of its biggest games this uh, this month, and it is the last Ninja 2, Ninjas on Skyscrapers. Yes, diving <laughs> down from the tops of a city. It's actually, I, I really like that cover. Really like it. It's good. I, don't, I have a point, though, to think. On the, on the clothing wheel, you know, like a colour wheel, on the clothing wheel, 
are ninjas the opposite of barbarians? Because barbarians wear nothing but pants, and ninjas mm. are completely covered up apart from their eyes. So it feels to well, me that they would be on opposite sides of the clothing wheel if a wheel of well, clothes was, <laughs> was made. <laughs> Those are good observations. Unfortunately, you're basing it on the assumption that ninjas dressed like they do in the fantasy fiction world, and they really didn't. Don't, don't didn't. ruin my fiction. Don't. No, I like ninjas no. I as mean, I like my men. <laughs> Carrying swords. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Uh, and sheathed swords. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's loads of things that I've, you, you could pick apart. And then, you know, the fact that the ninja's dressed the way he is because they don't dress like that. The fact that he's carrying that sword, which isn't a ninja sword because it's got a curved blade, as we all know. Ninjas don't have curved blade swords. Um, we all know. So, you know the, the list could go on. You know, why is he climbing a building in what looks like espadrilles anyway? That's dangerous. <laughs> That's just plain dangerous. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Why has he got tied up white socks? <laughs> Yes, he's uh, he's got his uh, he's got his costume tucked into his socks. I'm sure that's a good idea. Um, but I, and there's no laces on this. It's not like I don't know. I don't know. Maybe he's rode a bike there. I mean that that would be why you do that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, the guy is knocking <laughs> off as well. Um, he's uh, he don't look too happy about it. No, he's 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 full on ah in he as well. He's really <laughs> yeah. he's really going for it. No, it's he's, good. He's... It's a good dynamic, classic dynamic action cover from Ollie Frey. Great stuff. Yeah. Although the middle finger, his middle finger is a bit weird. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, yes, it is. It's, it's, sure what's uh, going on there. it's a bit bulbous. It's a bit bulbous <laughs> of end knuckle. It's very scrabbly, isn't he? His hands have gone very scrabbly. Yeah. Um, but I suppose he's probably, you know, he's probably in pain, I guess. He probably has been. He's been hit with the sword. There's blood, you know, he's been sliced with the sword and knocked off a skyscraper. It's not ending yes. well for this guy. There's a no. Wilhelm scream in that picture, if ever I've heard one. There is a Wilhelm scream and a very determined eye on the ninja as well. Um, <laughs> very but, determined. Um, they're both either falling or quite high up, or this is just you know a very a very gaudy low, low angle shot, as it were. Yeah, it's, it's the cameraman stood on the floor, <laughs> so, so he's not falling. He's not falling very far. He's like ah. Oh. <laughs> Yes, it's it's, it's all good though. I mean, it's obviously it's last ninja. So, although it's technically it's not the last ninja, is it? It's you know, he's, there's a few now. No, he's just last ninja too. Exactly. So it's not the last ninja. He's no, just last that, ninja. No, just last ninja now because they can't be the last ninja, can he? No, he can't be. So that says it's on the leading edge of arcade adventures. Mm, okay, yeah, yeah. There's, there's some yeah. crazy stuff in there, so you know we'll get to that. Yeah. Now, obviously, they're going for their um, and they've obviously started to sort of go for their. In-house um, people, haven't they, with the PG tips thing at the bottom? Yeah, PG, is that that's the initials of the chap in it, is it? Yeah, Paul, what's his face? I should know. That would be okay. PW. <laughs> Paul, what's his face? <laughs> really got, did, did they get that wrong? Um, <laughs> I don't like the, uh, the language on it, though. 32-page naughty pokes extravaganza. Ooh, more maps and pokes than you can shake a stick at. Um, don't, don't mix your metaphors like that around me. It's, it's unnerving. <laughs> Unnerving, oh, unnecessary. Me. It's lots of things begin with un. And then they got um, bored at the bottom, didn't they? Just competitions galore. Don't go any yeah, further they, into it than that. <laughs> they just ran out, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. It's is huge. It Paul, is don't it Paul Glancy? Paul Glancy? Yeah, it's something like that, isn't it? Yeah. Sounds know, familiar. Yeah. It does sound familiar. Let's see if I can see his name somewhere in the um, in the actual credits. It just says mm. PG. Oh, who are these people? Paul Glancy, yes, it is. Yes. Paul Glancy, there he is. There's Paul Glancy as a teapot as well. I know. I don't understand it myself, but yeah, yeah, they did just run out of space. Competitions galore. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. other week it was like five hundred quid from Gremlin for giving somebody yeah. some game a good review. At least yeah. they were honest. And that guy's Amiga that was just like, <laughs> "We're going to give you so and so's Amiga." Hey, <laughs> are <was> they? <laughs> <laughs> Someone just turned up at his house one day. Here, we're the bailiffs. Yeah. <laughs> give us your Amiga. Yeah, simply a knock on the door. 
Who's there? Zap 64 soap and up. Come for the come for the Amiga for the competition? I don't remember entering competition. You didn't enter it, sir. You're the prize. Hand <laughs> it over. Hand <laughs> it over now. But I'm using it. Now come along, sir. <laughs> To paraphrase Monty Python there. Indeed. Anyway. It is also 156 pages stuck up there in the top left. Yes. Yes, it is. That's that's, that's a whopper, actually. That's pretty heavy. It is. They make a point of that in the uh, editorial, mm-hmm. saying how it's do. going to be lots of stuff going on. It's bulging. It's bulging with stuff. It is, it is bulging. bulging. Anyway. Yeah, it's a decent cover. It's all right. Mm, all right. It's all right. Let's go. just minimise it. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> it's all right. I don't mind it. It's not one of my yeah. favourites. I think uh, there's too much. There's too much space taken up with the uh, building for my liking. Yeah, I would have liked it yeah. to be closer on the ninja on foe action. Yeah, but that's just yeah. me. Right there, you go. That's the cover. Should we get in some games? I think we should. I think it's most likely the thing that comes next. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, opposite the barbarian wheel, we go. And Graham, you have the pleasure. You have the pleasure of telling us all about Last Ninja 2. Wow, okay. Big old shoes to fill with Last Ninja 2, wasn't it, really? Mm-hmm. Um, Last Ninja being, the, sorry, The Last Ninja being one of those all-important C64 games. It's in the kind of the top tier, isn't it, of C64 games. Speak about it with mm-hmm. care because if you, you know, you can upset a lot of people by saying anything bad about ninjas and our last ninja. Hushed so, tones and awe, tones. I think are the words. Yeah, yeah. And rightly so. The game was, you know, of its time, amazing and, and a, a kind of a dedication to creating something that had a lot of visual complexity and lots of, lots, there's a lot of stuff going on in that game. Doesn't seem like it when you first sort of approach it, but there's, there's quite a bit in there. Now, mm-hmm. this is Last Ninja 2, of course, same team. So obviously this is from System 3, the same publisher. This is technically... Last Ninja 2, back with a vengeance. Oh yeah, um, so yeah. I forgot that uh, title. The little tagline. Yeah, I don't don't like um, it. No, I don't know if I like. I don't know if I like it either. It's uh, it's anyway. We'll come to why it's back with a vengeance, or why you know why it's all about that. And um, the design here is Tim Best, same same team from Last Ninja. Coding is John Twiddy, the excellent code here actually by John Twiddy. Little nod there because some of the stuff in here is mind bogglingly good. Mm. Graphics, Hugh Riley again. Big nod, big doth of the cap to Hugh Riley because he's turned in some goods here. And then um, the musicians have changed. So the musician was Ben Daglish and Anthony Lees in the old Nas Ninja. Now it's Thumpy Matt Gray with his thumpy soundtracks. Always so thumpy. Always thumpy. thumpy. Very thumpy. Um, okay, so let's uh, dive into the instructions. I'm, now I'm not going to... There's an entire beginning section of these instructions, which is the ninja, known as the Mystic Shadow Warriors, were the elite fighting force of the ninth century feudal Japan. And then in the background of that, you could have like sam- samurai swords and that's kind of sound, I think, for that. Um, I'm not going to read that any further, though. There's a couple of things to note. Firstly, because um, interestingly, actually, I did a little bit of ninja research for this because you've got to, really. <laughs> And, Is that what um, I read about in the paper the other night? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I didn't dress up in a ninja outfit and... Now that is not a look that the world is ready for. I'm telling you, not me in a ninja suit. It's not, nor would it be very stealthy. It'd be, just be, be brutally honest night. about it. No. it. Very dark night, and you'd have to be deaf to not hear me. If deaf people would still hear me somehow. No, I'm, I'm not. I'm not svelte enough what's, to be unnoticeable. What's that at the back of the garden? <laughs> it's a, I can't nin- hear it, but I, I can feel it thudding. It's a, nin- it's a ninja deer. It's one of those ninjas, dearie. It's one of those ninjas. You've seen them before. Anyway, um, so <laughs> I'm not going to go into detail about what ninjas are or are not. I just wanted to note, actually, that um, a significant proportion of the some of the stuff about Last Ninja, so the Koga Scrolls, all that kind of stuff, that's actually, the Koga Ninjas were actually a real thing. There was two large clans of ninjas in feudal Japan. Now, contrary to what you might think, they don't all 
have you know magical powers and live in you know live in kind of ninja communes or anything like that. They're actually they're basically hired assassins, weren't they? So, hmm. so um, and they were all hired by people that um, wanted them to do the stuff that they couldn't do because you know samurais were kind of honourable. And so to do something dishonorable was kind of a big no-no for them. So mm-hmm. they would hire people to do their dishonorable deeds. And so ninjas were the people they had to do that. And ninjas famously, and this is where it does tie into The Last Ninja a little bit in a funny way, um, they weren't. They were famous for being stealthy and all of those things, which meant they didn't generally walk around in jet black suits in broad daylight. Just, you know, that's quite conspicuous for any ninja. So and we're <laughs> going to come back to this idea about ninjas doing that. And they were more about infiltration and things sneaking into places and stuff like that so that and the reason why they did that at night time obviously people were asleep and it was easier but they didn't generally wear black either strange enough anyway all the stuff that's in the manual about them just being nearly wiped out and all of that stuff that did actually happen that actually is a part of um japanese history but japanese history had a bit of a rewrite at a certain point and it went some of the stuff that's actually true about the ninjas and about the what was happening and the stuff that later kind of got embellished to the point where they had all these powers of walking over you know without leaving marks and disappearing in puffs of smoke and all that that no that's that's not really true that's kind of fantasy stuff but there were real ninjas and they did get wiped out by a particular shogunate and there were two massive clans and there were such things as the koga scrolls and all of that stuff that's sort of part of this philosophy of this game that's part of that part of that is real which is quite interesting so anyway at the end of the last game, this picks up where the, the last game kind of ended. And at the end of the last game, all the ninjas were basically wiped out on the island of Lin Fen. Apart from Kunitoki, he came back, was like, where are you all gone? Oh, they're all dead. <laughs> and then uh, and then set about finding out why. And the evil shogun, um, sorry, it was Amakuni, wasn't it? And the evil shogun, Kunitoki, mm. had, had killed them all. So we pick up the pieces after that. Um, so according to the instructions then here, the struggle with the evil shogun, Kunitoki, had taken its toll. For many months after regaining control over the island of Lin Fen, Amakuni, the new master of the ninjutsu, fell into a deep depression at the loss of his brethren, which you would do, wouldn't you? You'd feel a bit down about that. You'd be a bit bored, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he reflected again and again and again upon his struggle against Kunitoki and always came to the same conclusion. It was only a one, it was only one, sorry, it was only the end of a battle, not the end of a war. Um, after more than a year of languishing upon Lin Fen, Amakuni was prepared to reinstate the way of the Shadow Warrior to its former glory. With the Koga Scrolls in his possession, all that Amakuni needed now were the disciples to follow his guidance and the teachings of the ancient manuscripts. Mm. Uh, as the word spread around the mainland, I like that. As the word spread, it's like, have you heard about um, Amakuni? He's, he's, he's got the uh, Koga Scrolls and he's, he's thinking of setting it all up again. Pass, the, pass it on. Extra, extra. Read all about it. <laughs> read all about it. Amakuni's got the Koga Scrolls again. Extra. Um, so as word spread about the mainland, that a new master had scrolls and was about to begin training, the men began to arrive. A bit sexist because a large percentage of ninjas were women, just saying. Um, they were the sons or daughters, I'm adding that in, of the fighting elite, the samurai. Was there any love and laughter, tears of sadness and happiness? <laughs> we will find out <laughs> our sons. Um, and by the way, samurai's children didn't often become ninjas. They were more often not peasants and villagers and people with no status. And a reason to be a ninja would be to gain money and financial gain. Stop Same. ruining... My view uh, of feudal Japan. <laughs> Stop it's, it. It's, impo- it's important that you have these things in place. So anyway, a new order of ninja slowly began to take shape, but this time the training was going to be more intense than ever before. Never again would they be caught off guard and be defeated without honor. They were all wiped out in one go, by the way, so probably you need to learn from that. Mm. During a training session of the Inner Circle, by the way, this instruction manual was replete with emboldened words for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> Just random boldness. Anyway, 
During a training session of the Inner Circle, which is bold, in bold, the Masters Elite of the Elite, a strange feeling came... Sorry. During a training session of the Inner Circle, the Masters Elite of Elite, a strange feeling came over the class. It was as if time had abruptly stood still, as if they were the only people left in the world. As Armakuni rose from his meditating position, a strange pulsating light enshrouded him. Concerned with what they saw, the class tried to rise and go to Armakuni's assistance, but they were fixed in their positions. No one could move. The intensity of the light grew around Armakuni until all who were witnessing the scene were forced to cover their eyes. When the light faded and finally disappeared, the students leapt to their feet. What ha- what happened? Happened is in bold. Where is the master? That's in bold also. What is happening? Shouted Armakuni. That's in bold too. That doesn't make sense to me, does it? <laughs> um, but no one could hear him. It was as if he was invisible. And in a soundproof glass box, we have all been in that situation. I've been <laughs> so many times found myself invisible in a glass box. Um, why wasn't his class rushing to his aid to help him break free? Why did he feel the sharp thorns of fear? Metaphors are happening again, aren't they? Mixed ones. Yeah. The sharp thorns of fear. Anyway, um, while inside, he, he was as calm as the deep seas. <laughs> what game were the ancients playing with him? His questions found no answers as he slipped unwillingly into unconsciousness. Now, I, that sentence there, that little bit, that made me think that these guys have been heavily reading those um, Way of the Tiger Ninja books. Yeah. Because it, it reads this bit reads exactly like that. That sentence, why did he feel the sharp thorns of fear while inside he was as calm as the deep seas? That makes no sense. That's no, too the deep seas aren't calm. And, but the, he's starting to feel fear, but he's not calm. <laughs> Slowly, Armakuni clawed his way back through the darkness of deep sleep. Okay. Back to where he felt he's safe. Awake. Don't. As he forced his eyes <laughs> open, he was greeted by a sight that his experiences could not have prepared him for. Why are these words boldened? Well, I don't know. Armakuni <laughs> is now standing on a hard wooden floor surrounded by strange objects that vaguely remind him of musical instruments. I'm just here to tell you, mate, you're not, it's not that strange. You are in a place surrounded by musical <laughs> instruments. So there's no real... Anyway, behind him is a curtain parted slightly in the middle. It sounds like he he's about to... to go on stage and do a stand-up routine. He's having some kind of nightmare. I've got to go any jokes. Ooh, you suck. I haven't studied. I haven't studied. Um, as he tries to focus his eyes on the surroundings, his mind is sent spinning. He sees strange, gigantic shapes covered with mirrors reaching to the very doorstep of the heavens. Where am I? Shouts Armakuni, trying to get some control over his rushing emotions. He calls upon all of his reserves of courage. He must try to make sense of the insanity surrounding him, taking a moment to meditate, as we all do in situations of high extreme tension and stress. <laughs> Mirror, mirrors. <laughs> mirrors. Amakuni suddenly experiences a strange and chilling sensation. He, he's done a shit. Let's just be honest. He's, just, just, he's pooed in his ninja suit. <laughs> there is a force a, in this land. <laughs> he's done a big kunatoki. Yes. There is a force in this land, a force he has not felt. Now, I'm sorry, but they've ripped off Star Wars here. Yeah, blatantly. just a bit. <laughs> there is a force in this land, a force he has not felt since the battle with the evil shogun, Kunitoki. Yeah. Could he be here? Has some cruel trick of fate brought the two of us together once again? Try magic more than cruel trick of fate, because you woke up in, in a completely strange place and you were a minute ago stubbed with all of your ninjas. <sighs> Yeah. Anyway, as these thoughts rush through his mind, Armakuni begins to realise that their destinies must be forever intertwined. And wherever evil forces try to hold sway over mankind, Armakuni is the one chosen to vanquish it. Armakuni's immediate concern is to explore his surroundings. He must find some means of defending himself against the unknown dangers that lie before him. He was an expert in martial arts. Also, that's know. quite the assumption to jump to. <laughs> his ninja skills I'm and like, all that training coming into the fore here. Wherever, I feel like I'm in danger. Is, wherever evil is, I must fight. I am I'm drawn through time to fight it. Well, it's, there's a party curtain I, and I'm surrounded by trumpets. I'm in mortal danger. <laughs> 
I need a weapon of some kind. Absolutely. Grab a trumpet. A, a brass band may break up at any break out at any moment. <laughs> Just grab a trumpet. Haunting that could me, be dangerous. Ha- haunting me with a deadly horn. <laughs> Uh, although Amakuni was uh, torn from his own time with nothing more than the clothes on his back, he has total belief. That's in bold for no reason. No his reason. Abilities. All right, so that's that's the instructions. I'm not reading any more of it. There's, there's, Please don't. It's, it's last ninja <laughs> stuff. Um, and that's actually, the reason I've gone through all of that is not just because it's interesting, but because it actually lies at the, one of the core things that I find difficult with this game, one of the core things. I'll come back to it. But just want to plant that there, that this that entire build-up has all led to him being stood in somewhere he's not familiar with, with no idea what he's meant to be doing. And that is interesting, isn't it, in a game like this? Let's just park that for a moment. So, as I said at the start, um, this has some big old shoes to fill, and the expectations obviously are incredibly high for this. So I don't know if if, if I don't know if you're brave to releasing a sequel to this, or I don't know, I don't know. But either way, they, they decided they were going to do it. Apparently, it took it was three hundred, sorry, eight hundred man days according to the instructions that made this. Not eight hundred man days. No, eight thousand man hours. I'm looking at eight, it now. Th- eight, sorry, yeah, eight, sorry, eight thousand man hours, which is what three hundred and thirty odd days. It's a lot, something like that. So it's quite a lot. So a year, probably a year in the making, which sort of makes sense. Probably longer than that. Anyway. um, Let's sort of take a bit of a dive into the game. So the second installment of the amazing C64 Last Ninja franchise, here we go. Once again, obviously we're players as Mamakuni, and once again we slip into our somewhat conspicuous in the daytime ninja outfit. <laughs> then head out on what is, at this point, a mission of discovery, um, and you are back with a vengeance for some reason, I guess, because you don't really know what you're revenging against. Revenging is no. not a word, but no. Well, it's, that's I guess. So at this point, it's kind of sort sort of kind of about that. The details involve you waking up mysteriously in New York, where the game is set. Um, in nothing, obviously, nothing but your ninja clothes, and after magically vanishing from Linfen and appearing in this city, um, it sounds to me, um, and based on the instructions, it's kind of a, a giveaway, really. That this this all has something to do with that Shogun Nobed Kunatoki up to some kind of dastardly <laughs> trick. So the aim of the game is to find that out then, I guess, at this point then. So, because you don't, I don't know, do you, is that what the game, is that the aim of the game? Is the aim of the game to find Kunitoki? You don't know he's involved yet. No. Is the aim of the game to, what What's what am I doing? I'm a ninja in New York. I'm a ninja. I'm a ninja. I'm <laughs> a ninja in New York. What's the own sting song? Oh, I'm a I'm ninja. A ninja. <laughs> I'm a funky ninja. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, so the general display type and demeanor of the game are in the same vein as The Last Ninja. The main chunk of the game takes place in the greater proportion of the top left left of the game window in kind of a rectangle. To the right of that, on the right of the screen, is your weapon using holding status. Under that, in the bottom right-hand corner, is your ninja face, which blinks, and some Good. city graphics. At the bottom of the screen is your current power and the power of your enemies, shown again as kind of scrolly-scrollies. Um, and your score and timer adjacent to this. It's not dissimilar from The Last Ninja. There's a little bit of shifting things around and leaving your enemies with more or less the same energy as you this time because it was just a small straight bar in The Last Ninja. So it wasn't. So they've actually got as much energy as you. Mm. That's an important thing to note in this game. Yes. The graphics are good. There's no if and or buts. They look really nice and detailed. And on a CRT, they look really good. Yeah. Um, the general character design is about the same, but with some slight variations of the moves. I think there's a little bit, it's a little, looks a little bit nicer in this. I think mm. yeah, yeah. the control is via the joystick uh, where you operate Amakuni with a kind of like, the same similar, almost this, almost the same rotational method that you used in the last Ninja. It takes a bit of getting used to, um, it has to be said. And I, I actually found this more difficult to control for some reason than last Ninja. I don't know if that's just me 
but I, I, I found myself fighting the controls at some point. I will come back to that though. But it's basically the same as Lost Ninja, only a bit more. So it's a bit more punchy, I think, and that made it more fiddly for me. I found it. I, my joystick was clicking like crazy. I was over clicking massively. It was, you know, it, it sounded it sounded like uh, it sounded bad. It sounded like I was going to see a chiropractor or something. It was crazy. Um, did you know there's three modes in this game for where you can control it, which is really weird. Yeah. So you can press the J key and it changes it between modes one, two, and three. Now I. It confused the shit out of me. I pressed mode one, and all of a sudden I was pushing forward, and he went backwards. I'm like, oh god, no! But just so then I pressed it, it, went to it mode rotates three. you, doesn't it? Rotates it 45 degrees or something each way. And it's like, what? yeah, it's, well, you think it, it just breaks your brain. It's just it's, it's it's a fiddly enough control system without making it even fiddlier with changing the angles of things. I was like, oh no! So I just went for mode two, which was normal. Um, the details of the environments you're exploring and uh, are some of the finer graphics you're going to see on a Commodore 64 game at this point. It really is really good. There's some really nice details, really clever use of the color palette to give you sort of tonal colors and sort of backgrounds and things. They really are amazing, I have to say. Really, really good stuff. Um, you'll quickly notice the combat in this game is a lot tougher than Last Ninja. And this is directly due to the extra energy of your enemies. And so you may want to think about the avoidance as, avoidance as a tactic um, instead of getting into a dust-up every time, which is actually more ninjury. Um, that's not a word. I've invented that. It's not a person. It's not, not an injury for a ninja. A ninja. A ninjury. Oh, no, I've got an injury. <laughs> oh, I fell over. I hurt my knee. I've got an injury. <laughs> my knee. Uh, there's a ninja over there. He's hurt himself. Yeah, he's got a ninjury. Um, so but it, it is actually... <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, it is actually more ninjury to be avoiding fighting. You know, that's the, the point. The point of being ninjas, yeah, it's more ninjury. So, um, I think he could have done with other costumes other than your black shizuku. That's what it's called, apparently. The costume. Mm-hmm. See, research. Um, we're generally leaving you looking less like a ninja on a vin- on a vengeance mission, and more. Well, it would just leave you looking less ninjury, wouldn't it? If you didn't walk less, around in a less, ninja less outfit, less ninjury. Yeah, you'd just be a regular guy. Yeah, which is good. You know, less conspicuous, easier to infiltrate, better. better. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No reason to walk around Central Park as dressed as a ninja unless you're looking for trouble. Um, uh, yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, today you just think you're going cosplaying somewhere, so you're be fine. <laughs> you start waving a sword around, though, you're going to be in big trouble, especially in Central Park, because that has all sorts of connotations. Um, anyway, you explore the rooms, locations, paths, which are all flick screen, but in that fast draw way that like, the last ninja used. So a tad quicker to display, I think, here. And they're a bit quicker on the draw. Um, and in, in the game, of course, you've got to look for clues, switches, hidden weapons, keys, food, that kind of thing. All of which is positioned precariously on the floor or on, a, on the side of something. All which is impossibly difficult for a ninja of such ability to reach. <laughs> he's crap. <laughs> I was going to say it. He's just, he's just so rubbish. Uh, you know, he can jump, he can wheel swords, but can he pick shit up? No. He can't, he can't pick up. I, I had trouble picking up a hot dog. Yeah, so did I. And that did not please me, let me tell you. And I think <laughs> the idea of ninjas eating hot dogs, though, that, that's why I was determined to get it. That, that, that ninja is eating that hot dog. Anyway, um, so that's the kind of thing in the game you've got to do. And like I said, and picking things up in this game, is one of the biggest pains in the ass of the whole game. Yeah. Anyway. Especially when the things you have to pick up are not even on screen, but hidden in the scenery. Yeah. Like, I, I don't come, even know if come, I'm bending oh, over. Don't it's this uh, don't. I mean, all of that is designed to help you pro- progress to the various stages. So the idea is that you pick up things along the route and then you'll work your way through to the end of the level and it'll say, you know, if you haven't got the right things, but it'll ask you if you sh- are you sure you want to progress because, you know, in other words, you haven't picked everything up. But if you have, you kept to the next level and then there's more loading, stuff like that. So here in this game, the stages are Central Park, the streets, um, not, uh, I don't think I will pull you. <laughs> not that street. So that would be brilliant, wouldn't it, if it dropped that eyes, soundtrack. <laughs> I know it's hard to take, but all your ninja mates have been murdered. There's plenty more ninjas in the sea. Plenty more men to train. 
Dry your eyes, mate. Yeah, it could be that person in the streets. It could be. Could have a nice image of him, just a ninja with his you know, tears coming, just running down the side of his uh, his, his, his mask. <laughs> with a, with a anyway. sort of small cockney next to him, singing at him. <laughs> I'm not trying to kill you, even though I would like to. Anyway, um, <laughs> following on from the streets, there's the sewers, then there's the basement, the office, the mansion, and then the final battle, battle, battle. Mm. Each of these, of course, is accompanied by a fab soundtrack from Matt Gray, some heavily inspired by Tangerine Dream, when I say heavily inspired, I mean very inspired. But mm. they still sound really great. And there's others as well. They're all, they're all really good thumpy Sid tunes, all of them. They're really thumpy in this game. Very city-led. You can see, you can see why they chose Matt Gray for the music, because his music lends itself to that kind of cityness, um, urban type stuff. I think it's really good. It, it keeps the tone of the game where it should be, and I, I quite like it for that. Um, and there's, there's lessons they've learned from The Last Ninja as well. There is certainly less wandering around lots of long paths in this. There's less long paths, that's for sure. Long path is not an enemy you fight, by the way, you know, ironic <laughs> twist. There's just less long paths. <laughs> There's only one. <laughs> and he's at the end of level three. Boy, one is he path. tough. He's tough. He goes on forever. Ever. <laughs> one path. That's that's long path's brother. Oh, it's all getting confusing now. Anyway, um, so anyway, so there's less less of the journeying through that. And there are pickups and places to explore. There Now, some of them are more obvious because they're just right there. Some of them less so, like the nunchucks being in the ladies' toilets. Weird. Um, and just, just stuff like that. Makes it's not think, immediately obvious. Makes me think what they've been used for. <laughs> Enemies have a patrol it's only, and attack remember, site. It's only one half of them. Yes, true. Um, and then there's, there are, I can't remember which weapons you get to pick up. I think they're essentially the same. There's the shuriken stars, there's the, there's the staff, there's the, the sword, there's, there's the, the shit nunchucks. Stick. <laughs> there's, there's the shit on a stick. <laughs> Wave the shit under the noses. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's been in dog shit, hasn't it? Yes. Ninja dog shit. Anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway. Enemies have a patrol and attack cycle. Um, in this and when beaten stay beaten or unconscious for a time that is a nice thing that it does I'd rather just quite stay nice dead I'm yeah, perfectly but, honest uh, <laughs> yeah but sometimes I've noticed sometimes they did it was weird sometimes some of them stayed dead if you beat them twice they died but sometimes they you know they sometimes they came back anyway um, so you can see their energy going up so it gives you a little timeline as well and your energy does re- regain as well you do regain if you stood around a bit it will go up a little um, you can avoid them as well if you want to it's <laughs> Now, let me tell you something. Mm. I decided that I was going to try avoiding fighting in this because I thought, I'm going to try and play this like a real ninja. Ninjas didn't just run, run around breaking out poo sticks and sticking under the cops' noses going, hey! They, they avoided combat, really, because it's trying to be inconspicuous. It's not easy to do this. I ended up doing what looked, look, w- would have looked like a ninja doing an impression of Hank Marvin in front of every policeman. <laughs> like, hey, that's a... <laughs> Shuffling forwards, then backwards to the side, spinning round, a couple of somersaults. Down, down. <laughs> doing a random version of the Apache song. <laughs> Didn't work. They just kind of blocked me in and started beating me. So I just had to, you know, thump them with my fists and feet. Anyway... Um, so you can avoid them with some nifty footwork and somersaulting, but that's probably, you're not really going to be able to do it for long. Some of the policemen in the game, because there are policemen with different characters, enemy characters in it, such as they are. Some of them policemen threw shuriken stars at me, which I'm pretty sure they don't do. <laughs> so no. I'm not so sure what's going on there. Um, so combat is either hand-to-hand with kicks and punches or with weapons as you find them. Um, the moves are all pulled off in a similar way to The Last Ninja, so obviously five button pressed and angular movements will do the somersaulting and the movements and the things like that. You kind of rotate the joystick round to move round. Fire button will then 
a space bar um, breaks out your weapon, whichever weapon you've chosen in the display. And then obviously if it's a poo sticky, that waves under the nose or, you know, some of the weapons don't work so good close up. Some of them do They have different length of move. It's very like last ninja, that part. There's not a great deal of variation there. Um, so um, you'll need to sort of find these weapons. Or you're never going to do this game in a million years ever. You're never going to get through it with just fists and feet. It's just not going to happen. Nope. Um, there's a lot less of the instant death stream jumping in this, at least, um, or fighting magic dragons with you know with puffs of smoke and things like that. There's a more grounded feel to the levels, at least the early ones. But there is that there's still that odd sense of weird punishment for things like falling off a wall or and st- and stuff that ninjas wouldn't die from. Um, nope. This is a tra- you know the last serious trained man actually who's just trained an entire army of ninjas that watched him disappear in a puff of smoke. I'm sensing that if he's like, if he gets you know, foiled by falling off a garden wall, like, oh, they're not going to take him so seriously. No, is he? Is he really a ninja? Who is he being sure trained that, by? Yeah. Who's this guy? Can, can I see some kind of, of ninja idea or something? You don't, well, you don't seem very ninja-y to me. I reckon anyway. the, the whole tale at the beginning of the first one was he's actually the gardener who just picked up a ninja suit. Yeah, that's why. Pr- fancied being. Anyway. So those punitive moments kind of haunt the game a bit, I think, here. Mm-hmm. They're fewer and further between The Last Ninja, but there's still some of them in there. Like when you're jumping across wall gaps and you just fall down the gap and die. And or jumping silly on Silly things boat. like that. Still can't or jumping on the swim. boat. No, ninjas that can't swim. And they don't, you know, the, the, the sheaths of their sword are actually blowpipes and also water pipes when they go underwater. Yeah, I know. Anyway. But they don't. I'm sensing that Armakuni is not the ninja who made himself out to be. Here. No, like, Garda. Some some ninjas, some guys there with a ninja, but nin, no, with the uh, idiot guy to being a ninja, and he's going, "Hang on a minute." It says here <laughs> they were all killed. So who's to <laughs> well, say he's the last ninja? Yes, true, true, true. Okay, the main ninja and all the enemies are well animated, and it works in multiple directions, which is both an achievement and a curse. It can leave the controls feeling more fiddly. That they should be uh, uh, more fiddly than they should be, and that often means running, jumping, and fighting get confused in what it's doing in what direction at any time, which can and will lead to frustration on more than one occasion. I lost count the amount of times so I ran towards a policeman, then suddenly sort of turned the wrong way, and I was just facing the wrong way, and then it's like a rotation to turn back, and like, yeah. I just I just looked like an idiot. Um, <laughs> yeah, as you progress through the graphics and puzzles, such as they are. Um, things get better and better with the later levels and the, they, they really do start to look amazing the graphics really do up the ante as the game goes through towards the end of the levels the last, the last two or three levels they really are good there's a lot of detail in them a lot of detail in the game and, and you can't but admire how much they got out of the C64 in terms of its graphic and its user color it, it really is quite amazing the loader for this is a bit of a pain but we played a cracked version and the original was probably faster and better this cracked version is a cracked loader that we've played which is not the original Last Ninja 2 loader. So uh-huh. I found that the loading seemed to be a lot longer, but that's because they'd repacked and redone the loader. So it's, it, this is not the System 3 loader that's on our version. So I imagine... Because the tape version has a nice loading system and it's pretty fast. It loads the next level while you're playing the first level, a bit like Dragon's Lair did. Oh, um, right, so okay. it's so it's there's a little bit of that going on. Um, it appeared on multiple computers, this. Did you know that? This particular yes. one. Yeah, it did, yeah. Um, including the Amstrad, Spectrum, BBC, and MS-DOS. Weird. I had a quick view of the other versions, which meant the loud colours of the BBC version nearly burned out my retinas. <laughs> so much, so much bright yellow and red. It was, it was, it was, it was like it bad. It was bad. My eyes are still kind of sore. Um, the Spectrum and Amstrad version looked good, albeit colourless. The Atari XL version was a port from the BBC, so those my eyes were burning again. Um, the 16-bit versions were okay-ish. But the Atari ST version looking a bit over-detailed and cluttered. And the Amiga version 
more detailed, but with a weird and oddly animated main sprite. And the same drawings of the backgrounds as the C64. So when you go on the Amiga version, you go to the screen, it draws it. I'm like, why does the Amiga do that? I don't think the Amiga needs to do that, does it? No. It's really strange. So it, it's odd that the processing power and graphic of the Amiga would require it to draw it on the screen like that. I, I, it's really weird. Anyway. Well, that BBC version is bright yellow and green, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, just careful your eyes. Shield your eyes now. Christ. Yeah, you, you need a, like a, a welder's mask. Um, so the, in, this business has been a long review, and, and I've waxed lyrical about it and stuff, but there's, there are things to like about the C64 version, and there's things I don't like. The setting is good. But what, uh, and it seems more directionless. That's my big problem with The Last Ninja 2. It just feels a bit directionless. It feels like you're a ninja in New York and then, you know, just find stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So you kind of like say a ninja in New York, you've got to find stuff. And then, I don't know, the central purpose just seems vague. And I think that affects the gameplay. The graphics are exceptional and the characters, etc. they're all really good. The controls are fiddly and sometimes um, seem to have a bit of a mind of their own. But I would imagine that some consistent play would probably resolve that over time. Puzzles? Well, are they puzzles? Hit switches? Find stuff that's in a plant pot? Um, I don't know. This is more. This is a lot more of the flick screen combat game. Um, this is lot. This is a lot more. Sorry, this is a lot more of a flick screen combat game. And while the combat is actually pretty tough, when you kill or stop an enemy, they do sometimes stay down to death. For example, um, that is quite a good thing. But I don't know. It's just. It just. If you took that out, what would it really? If you didn't have so much of that, I mean, it, it would just be you rummaging around plant pots for keys or. There wouldn't be a lot of ninjury stuff. It doesn't feel very ninjury. And anyway, so flicking between the screens can cause weird enemy resets of position. And if you notice that, so you'd go up, you get pushed yeah, off yeah. the screen, go back on the screen, and then all of a sudden the policeman's gone, hey, how do yeah. you get there? Um, which is annoying sometimes. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're facing the wrong direction when you enter or exit a space. So I walked in facing forward and come out facing sideways, which is dead annoying and stupid stuff like that happens. Yep. Um, it's not so much the path, but more of the, how you face in the game in this that, requires you to turn the play around with the joystick in that. And that's annoying in small spaces. In a small amount of time sometimes that you've got, that's, that whole rotational thing can get quite annoying because you'll go to rotate and you won't. You'll go backwards and you're like, hang on, stop, rotate round. It's like, ninjas don't normally have that. They're meant to be like super agile. <laughs> it's far too tricky to turn around when you pick up the stick to just turn around yeah. on the top of that top of that uh, rock. You know, you're on yeah, that sort of rickety brick thing. Rotate it round. But having said all of that, there's no denying the game has a really good thumping soundtrack. It moves at a good pace. There's plenty to fight or avoid if you want to do the old Hank Marvin shuffle. If you like Last Ninja, as I loved Last Ninja, then this is a strong sequel to that game. It's, there's, it's not doing anything that that game didn't do, and it's picked up on some of the things that, that did annoyingly, and it's pushed on it a little bit. And Does it have the magic that came together for Last Ninja? Not quite. Is there too much brown in this game? Maybe there is. Maybe there is. Too much grey. Um, too much grey. Are the locations too cluttered? Are there too many enemies? I don't know. These are questions. And more to the point, how ninjury is this ninja game? At least the previous one was set on Linfen Island. It felt Japanese and it felt like it was part of that universe. Take that out, put it in a city. It's a bit like Predator 2. Parts of it just don't work. Just don't work at all. So it's worth a full revisit at any point, this game. It certainly is because it's good. And it's certainly a sizzler. I'm glad it didn't get a gold medal because it would never have been gold medal material. 94%. It's a good score, this. Go replay it. See what you think. Just remember, there's more to being a ninja than just waking up in a room full of trumpets. Um, <laughs> yeah. so what did you... I'm sorry if I've gone on phrases, but what did you think? No, no, that's fine. Um, before I, I to get into what I, uh, I think, uh, did you read the first paragraph of the uh, instruction booklet? I did. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it out here because never has an instruction booklet started with such a self-aggrandizing paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> says, rarely does a company make as dramatic an impact as did System 3 Software with the award-winning game The Last Ninja. 
This software innovation proved to be a major advance in home computer entertainment, achieving critical acclaim from the media and game players around the world. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, fair enough, but, I, just tell, but it just seems odd to put that in the instruction booklet. It's just weird. Yeah. But because next to that is a T-post a sort of mud man who looks crap. <laughs> why, why is that there? <laughs> I don't know. There's loads of weird things in this. Why is it like, like on page nine, there's uh there's like a 1940s detective. Yeah, what's why? Why is that there? <laughs> I don't know. The mud man's back really on page weird, 15. That. Yeah, it's just a you know, 90 is it just a detective. Why not? Just random <laughs> graphics, yeah. <laughs> it's very hard, this instruction booklet. And I was looking through it, and all those bolded words mean nothing, no, no sense. No, and this, um, it's full of samurais, but it's not full of ninjas. <laughs> well, the ninjas can't be seen. <laughs> yeah, well, they can. Well, yeah, right. Yeah, they can, though. Him. You can. The white, they can white, be disguised white. as that crocodile or whatever it is. <laughs> whatever that is. Anyway. Why, this, why is it there? <laughs> I don't know. This is, anyway, what's this? It's more or less ninja. It's more or less ninja, but now in modern-day New York for some reason. I just I don't get it's probably technically better than the first game with uh, some extra definition on the sprites, some smooth animation by the looks of it. But, you know, it's still that same kind of fighting and exploration and punishing jumps and the like from the first game. So the design, I don't think, has progressed in any way, shape or form from one to two. I don't. Th- I think it's just it's the same game, just with different level graphics. I mean, and that's not a bad thing if you like the sort of thing. That's fine. But as you said, and as I've noticed as well, what it has lost, though, is the atmosphere. And that, for me, was always the downside of this one over the first. I'll always prefer playing a ninja in feudal Japan over someone cosplaying as one through modern day New York. I just yeah. it just doesn't work. It's simply uh, simply because I prefer the aesthetic. I prefer the you know the classic ninja feudal Japan. All that sound the, uh, and the sound effect, the music, the great music. Everything came together in the last ninja to produce that piece of software that captured in eight bit form in eight bit so Commodore sixty four film in nineteen eighty seven that perfect timing of place feeling of music everything worked you know we've we said at the time the gameplay's okay but it was everything that was wrapped around it that held it up mm. and i think that's lacking here no doubt in the technical expertise and it it's probably better but it doesn't work as well that's that's what i think um and like you said beyond this some of this makes no sense why do the cops and muggers throw shurikens you know in the original game that was thematically consistent here yeah, not so much like it's just no. stupid why no. do um jugglers lob knives at you like this is you know that don't happen i don't know maybe it did in 1980s central park <laughs> don't think it did though they get arrested um you know and it also hasn't done anything to fix the fiddly nature of picking stuff up why can i not just run into stuff yeah and pick it up yeah, yeah. legit question that and i just don't get it why why, why make me <laughs> do, do that cr- fingers ninjas <laughs> crouch thing he's also got two ways of picking stuff up now as well he's got yeah. the full crouch to the floor and the sort of That's half the new like, yeah, the old way. Yeah, yeah. and it's, I just don't like either. Just let me run into the objects and have and I pick yeah. them up. There you go, job done. Take so much of the fiddliness, and then would also give you extra things on the joystick to do with combat. Maybe you know. Yeah. So you've got more things than just the up, down, left, up, down, left, right ones. Yeah, You'd have, yeah. You could have the diagonals as well. Suddenly, combat could be a bit more interesting. Well, apparently in this game, it's got a block. But I never used it, and I couldn't ever do it. I don't, I, at least not knowingly. So no, I didn't. I blocked anything. I tried it, but no, never seemed to work. Because um, no. yeah, t- you know, trying to get your arms to line up with jumps is pain in the ass. Um, and I, I don't like, like you said, trying to run past stuff. I try to jump around. I try to do that, but they could just sort of get at the side of you, and then they just stop you. And you're like, because yep. of the fiddly nature of the controls, it's 
it's a nightmare to try and get away. Yes, um, yes it is. Because turning round is a, if you're running one way, it's go, you have to turn 45 degrees and then 45 well, yeah, degrees again. They always push forward, don't they? So if, if they're coming at you and you're trying to get past, they just push forward all the time. And eventually, so if you go back, they push, they run forward. So you, yeah. you can't really get past them. You have to go off the screen and go back on again. It's a, it, yeah. Um, so yeah. So I sound <sighs> like I'm being really negative on this. I'm not. I did enjoy my time with it. It is, it is a, you know, it's good. It's not as good as the first game for those reasons that I don't particularly, for me, it's, you know, it's reading those last, you know, the, not last ninja books, the way of the tiger books, they, fe- mm. you know, they felt they had a time and a place. They felt right. They were, yes, had an atmosphere. Yes. They had a sense of place. They were more ninjury. They were more ninjury. <laughs> yeah. You know, Oh, my knee, I've had an injury. Um, <laughs> this isn't, this doesn't feel like an, it just feels like I'm just, the problem is I'm just reminded of, a, of our old friends who used to run around the Wibers in ninja suits. Which just yes. that, <laughs> yes, yes no. they did. They but did um, and you know, like the opening scene. Why do I have to? What kind of bandstand is this? Where I have to go punch a flashing thing on a wall to open a trap door? Ah, <laughs> uh, I know. Don't, What's that guy just... doing up there? How does he get down? <laughs> is he trapped up there why, forever? Why have they left the key on the floor? But hidden other things in plant pots. It's yeah. Just... Well, I don't know. I don't. I don't understand. There's lots of this. I don't. I don't get. You know, why can I still not swim? It's, one of the things they put in the instructions as well is right. So, um, where is it? Because we are always conscious of your demands for ever better products, we have incorporated many of your suggestions in this game. For example, playing against the clock and having a score to relate your performance to. No, no one wanted that. No one. No one asked people, that. No. People Ninja wanted, time. People wanted <laughs> to be able to swim. Yeah. You know, and not die yeah. over those bloody rocks. I don't know. Yep. I, I don't know. I'm feeling. I, I'm sound like I'm down this. I'm not. It's a very good game. It, it's probably worth its ninety four percent. But I think it just rubs me up a bit, little bit the wrong way compared to the first one. And I always felt that way back in the day. It never connected like the first one connected. No. Um, time and place, right, right combination of things in that first game that just hit in a certain way. There was nothing else like it. This Last Ninja like this, and Last Ninja is better. I think, even though it's probably not, even though it is, I don't know. Like you said, Last Ninja is more fiddly with those bloody rock jumps and dragon stuff and things like that. But this didn't fix too enough of it for me. Anyway, there you go. I don't know. Yeah, no, no, that's, I agree. I agree. Mm. It's not ninja. It's not ninja enough. It's not ninjury. Be, be more uh, like ninjury. I want to be more ninjury. Be more ninjury stuff. Yeah. Better ninjas. Why wouldn't they? I mean, I don't know why. What point did they go? Let's put it in. I mean, because there were a lot of like American Ninja and stuff. Those kind of films That's weren't there. The, so like, you've answered your own question. Why have they put it in the city? Because there was loads of stuff in the city around that with time. With ninjas, like, yeah, yeah. But well, they just, were in. They were in New York because it was cheaper to film. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> it's not cheaper. It doesn't matter what you draw. They're just pixels. It's it's the same. It's the same choice as, as Predator Two. Why did Predator Two go to where it went in the city? Because cheaper where do you film. go with it? Yeah, it's cheaper to Where film. You, and this, I mean, I don't know if it means that the backgrounds are easy to make, but it is lots of walls. And I mean, they're amazing to look at, but they are a wall, lot more walls and things and less detailed little oriental paths and things. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it just, I don't know. Maybe it's something to do with that. Maybe it's I don't just. Know. I don't know. I think that's probably our longest review ever. Good Lord. There you go. That's Last Ninja 2. It's, conf- it's confused us, confuzzled us, and yes. left us wanting more ninjury <laughs> stuff. I don't know. No, I don't know what no else more. to say. It's taken <laughs> us a long time to just say we wanted more ninjury stuff. <laughs> sports ninjury. I've got sports ninjury. <laughs> I will say, though, 
that it is the best ninja game we'll look at in this episode. Oh, they're not wrong there. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave that one there, be, as, there as we move on to our next one. And of course, we've always got the third one to look forward to at some point. We do. I don't think I've ever played the third one, so it'll be interesting oh, to no. play that one. The third one is very, very good. All right. Um, okay. Well, well, I'll look forward to that one. Let's move on. And our next one is a budget, a budget title. Um, this got a grand old total of 10%. This is Rogue. Rogue. Now, this this is a strange release in 1988, I think. So Mastertronic have clearly got the license for this from somewhere and released a port for the 8-bit machines at the time because they released it for the Spectrum, the Amstrad, the Atari, 8-bit machines, and, of course, the C64. So and for some reason, you know, they've just gone, oh, we've got Rogue, we're just going to do it. So for those who don't know or don't know what Rogue is, Rogue itself is one of those sort of seminal games from the early 80s that um, did something clever and different to what a lot of other games were doing. It kind of sort of became its own thing in a way. So from the wiki, I, I looked at the wiki and it says, Rogue, also known as Rogue Exploring the Dungeons of Doom, is a dungeon-crawling video game by Michael Toy and Glenn Wickman with, which, uh, with later contributions by Ken Arnold. Rogue was originally developed around 1980 for Unix-based mini-computer systems as a freely distributed executable. It's a turn-based. It's turn-based, taking place on a square grid represented in ASCII or other fixed character set, allowing players to have time to determine the best move to survive. Rogue implements permadeath as a design choice to make each action by the player meaningful. Should one's player character lose all his health via combat or other means, that player character is simply dead. Now I know that sort of you know that happens a lot, but it's just the way that this the player must then restart with a fresh character, as the dead character cannot respawn. Or be brought back from loading, reloading from a save state. Moreover, and this is the different part: no game is the same as any previous one, as the dungeon levels, monsters, encounters, and treasures are procedurally generated for each playthrough. So this was, you know, you had one go at it. You couldn't learn it. it you had you kind of learnt strategies to deal with monsters and things like that, but it was one run and one run. And if you did it, well done. If you didn't, you had to start again. And you couldn't you couldn't carry knowledge forward or experience forward or anything forward because it was going to be completely different every time. And that's why this game spawned not just imitators, but its own genre and subgenres, the roguelike and the roguelite. Don't confuse the pair of them. Um, this version of the game, so roguelikes are games that are like rogue. Roguelites take the elements of rogue, like permadeath, but are not so punishing. So you might gain experience for the next run, you might get weapons for the next run. So get recent games like Dead Cells, Rogue Legacy, they're roguelites, um, things like that. <clears throat> anyway, this version of the game stays pretty true to the original, uh, so it's definitely a roguelike. Um, the game itself is you venturing down a series of dungeons, like the first, in order to retrieve the Amulet of Yendor, uh, which is Rodney backwards, if you didn't know. Yeah, dear me. <laughs> I don't know if it's supposed to be, but it is. It's Rodney backwards. So I was thinking, is this, you know, Only Fools and Horses inspired? Um, probably not. This stays true to the original that it features random dungeons and permadeath. So each run is a one-off and the next one features a new layout and any objects you have acquired are gone. Now, yeah, Zap gave this a panning, 10%. Okay, referring to it as a gauntlet clone. That's pretty wide of the mark. <laughs> this is not a gauntlet clone. It's not. It was never intended to be. It's rogue. And Rogue predates Gauntlet by some four years or so. So it's a very and it's a very different type of game altogether. I, you know, I'm not saying this is a good game, but I'm saying that that review and the, the reasons behind their review seem odd. It seems like oh, this is you know, these top down dungeon crawlers are used to all this. It's like yeah, this is Rogue. This is not Gauntlet. It's not supposed to be a Gauntlet like. They're different types. Is it pitched um, as one though? I don't think. Don't think so. No, it's pictures rogue. I don't know. I don't know. This is what I don't know at the time. I mean, it's two quid. It is what it is. It's what it, I don't know. Um, 
yeah, when the game so when the game loads, you put in your name uh, and you start in a small part of the dungeon. The game works. It's on. It's yeah. This game works on a character scrolling basis, and it has removed that turn based element from the original. So it has done things a little bit different. It's a bit odd. You've got basically you control a cursor. You don't control your player. You control a cursor um, that you move about. And when you press fire, your character moves towards that point on the map that you've clicked on or that point in space because the map reveals as you move. Um, so you can't see the whole map as you start. You just see the area around you. And as you move through, the, move through the map, it reveals itself. So they'll move towards where you click until like they hit a wall or they can't go any further in that direction for whatever reason. So yeah, as you move, you reveal more of the dungeon and you find treasure and food and monsters to fight. Um, on the right of the screen is your inventory. Uh, this starts you with a mace, some armor, a crossbow, and some food. Um, you have to equip these when you first start. So move on to them. So move on to the, the mace and the armor and wear them or wield them. Um, otherwise, you're just running around with no weapon and then, you know, with no armor on, which is probably going to get you killed quite quickly. There are more things to pick up uh, that exist in the dungeon. There are spells and rings. You don't really get any explanation for what they are. You just got to kind of try them, see what they do which is kind of like the old road game. It's like, it's trial and error. It's just finding stuff. And everything's randomized, so who knows what you're going to get. There's better weapons and armor as well. Along the top of the screen now are some commands that allow you to navigate uh, the stairs of the dungeon. So you find them. That's how you progress uh, up and down. So you, there's up and down. So you can go up and down the, uh, the squares. You can search the squares around you for traps. Um, so they're basically, remember, it's a character-based thing. So the eight squares that sort of surround you, if you press search, it will test them for traps. Uh, and you can rest as well to gain some health back. Uh, at the bottom of the screen are your hit points, your strength, your armor rating. You can see where this has all come from. It's heavily influenced by Dungeons and Dragons and things. So there's those kind of elements in it as well. Um, uh, so, and a message section. So that sort of scrolls up. It keeps you in, in, uh, updated, sorry, on what is going on as you wander around the dungeon. So, you know, as a monster appears, you're attacking it. It's nearly dead and so on and so forth. So they have updated the visuals. <laughs> I will say that because obviously the original used simple ASCII characters. So it was just letters and things like that. However, this uses a very bland color palette of grays and blacks. It's not a particularly good-looking game. This, in fact, it's quite dreary and drab. And I think they could have done a bit more with it. Um, and a, the awful combo <laughs> of red and blue for the UI and the, and the, the surrounding border, the red border and the blue UI, it's not a good combo. It's its really not, you know, it's not a good combo, this. It makes this, this is a really ugly-looking game. The characters are not pretty well-defined as well, so it's, its you know, it scrolls at a character at a time pace. You have to get quite close to the edge of the map before it starts scrolling, so it's jerky as well. It does move fast, but, you know, I just found that there was no sense of danger because I couldn't tell what they do, what the monsters are, and I know that's kind of roguelike, but I didn't know how to really to fight them. Um, I, I couldn't see a command to fight. I just kind of ran, ran around them until they died or I died, and I don't know if I missed something, but I, I was wielding a mace, so I, could, I don't know. Maybe I was clicking on them to hit them. I didn't really know what was going on, if I'm honest. And the, and the instructions tell you absolutely naff all. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's barely any sound effects. Nothing. There's nothing to draw you in. There's no atmosphere to this. It's, it's dull. It's really, yeah, it's blur. Um, and it's also possible to spawn right next to a monster because of the procedural nature of this, which should never happen. They should do something about this at the start of a run and be dead before you know it because you can't get your mace and armor on quick enough before the monster's killed you. That's a no-no. No, don't do that. Um, there are other bits to it. You can see the full map that you've explored. You tap the T button. Why is it not M? What What's T? You know, un- unintuitive choices like this. It's weird. Um, and when you click yeah. on something in your pack, you have to press the letter that starts the word to do it. So, okay, so that is... Um, so it's a mix. Some of it's intuitive. Some of it's unclear. I thought I, I was pressing on it. I was moving my cursor over to say wield. I'm pressing the fire button. It didn't even occur to me to press W. Why would it? There's nothing... It's this mix of 
inputs that don't really are never really explained um and so it's, it's kind of a weird one um like i said i didn't really know how the combat works despite reading the instructions so it's all a lot of wandering around gray rooms looking for some stairs um and then dying that's that's you know that's what i got from this i know it's not the same if i want to play something like this i'll just go play master of magic and it, you know that came out two years ago and it, I, I know it's not a roguelike it's it's a, it's not a procedural dungeon it's but it's the same kind of vibe to this just way way better um it's far more entertaining and enjoyable to play i don't think this was about a 10 percent, but uh, but i don't think it's a particularly very good game it's ugly and a bit chunky but i think it's just a they've mis- misinterpreted it maybe i don't know it, it, it's a low score because it's it's a bit of a mess and a bit it could have been a lot better and it should have been a lot better really um but yeah rogue it's a for a for a you know, a game that has been so influential as it is now, it's it's a, quite disappointing to see a, a, such a poor version of it back then. Um, there, there you go. What did you think to this? Probably hated it, I imagine. Same sort of problem, really. I could, I, you know, I, I realised that it was a variation of Rogue, but just it wasn't very good variation of Rogue. Um, they'd just taken taken what is essentially a good idea and just scrambled it around on the screen in a way that just didn't was just unplayable, really, and not very fun. Mm. Um. It just had horrible controls. It just it, these sort of games either need better explanations as to what things do, and a little bit more. The UI needs to be a bit more easy to read and understand. Just all this stuff's a bit bitty and a bit all over the place. The graphics look make it look really bad. They don't need to be done that way. But this is the point. We played a rogue rogue type game as well, but another one from a while ago, which was a budget type game. I seem to recall, and um, one where it was like a procedural tower that you had to climb up. And that, I remember you saying at oh, the time that was like rogue. That, yeah, Hall of the Things. All of the things. All of the things. That, that again. That was you know wasn't graphically amazing, but it was certainly better visually than this one is. It's just like weird controls. It's controlling what looked like a hooked arrow. Yeah, and an icon of moving that around, and that just isn't the way that you you've got to get into the mind of your audience here. You now you've got gamers, teenage gamers, younger gamers, Mastertronic. This price range one ninety nine. This is going to be bought by aunties and uncles for kids. They're just not going to be impressed with this, you know. As much as the, the game might be amazing behind the scenes, but they've got to get past that visual complexity and unpick all that. And to do that, it's just going to ruin it. Mm-hmm. So, um, clearly, a great game from a long time ago. Just this, this, this is not a good version of it. Um, I couldn't get it to do much of anything. Um, I couldn't really get anywhere. I, I was, I managed to get myself equipped with things, and then I was quickly I'm not sure what I was doing. Um, and the icon thing just did my head in. It wasn't quite as quick as other bad typeface choices. They really did made in quite fast yeah and the terrible icon design i just never i could not get in find a way into it the only decent thing about this was that it had the invader load on the tape um which mm. is on the tape version it's got the invader load with a nice Rob hubbard soundtrack and that's actually pretty good so you might have probably got more fun out of the invader load than you would have actually the game because once you start the invader load you could just stop the tape and just carry on <laughs> playing that forever yeah probably um so i don't i think 10 percent is a fair score for this I'm not saying it's a fair score for a rogue game that was would be good, but it's a fair score for this version of it. It's just not a very good rogue game, so no. Maybe. No, maybe. no, no. Two quid. I think two quid's a lot for what they've done. Yeah. Um, just to say as well, it was, it was the scene. Uh, this version was created by, developed by Front Room Team, but created by PD Marshall. I also do just want to mention as well um, the cover, um, which has... <laughs> Well, this is what led me to think that it was pitched wrong completely incorrectly. Yeah, so he's got cover. like a, a bulky, a burly, purest burl barbarian um, with a sword with a really weird face that looks kind of pig-like. 
<laughs> it's really <laughs> odd. But it's the weird thing in the background because there's just a woman in a bikini manacled up. And she's not in a fantasy bikini. Like you saw like Maria Whitaker on the cover of Thingy with that sort of gold sort of armory type thing. This is just a bikini. It's like she's been to the beach. Um, it's really odd. It's really weird. I mean, it's obviously yeah. aiming at that market. I can see what they're doing here, but it's just pointless. I mean, this is just a woman from, uh, you know, in a very skimpy bikini for no reason in the background because you're not rescuing a woman. You, you're trying to find the amulet of Yendor. <laughs> Something tells me that whoever drew that was told roughly what the game was kind of about, and that's what they drew because it's the the body of He Man, not the head of He Man though. And then I don't know why there's a woman tied chained up, isn't she? So it's just a bit naff, isn't it? But yeah. They've gone just I'll oh, just do some fantasy and but I don't know, put it in some kind of volcano. No, that's <laughs> yeah. the best thing to do. <laughs> no, a big yellow tube behind him. It's not very good. Anyway, it's not a very good game. Uh, whatever. No, it's not. There we go. No, that's rogue. Exactly. Oh dear, right. Let's carry on. What we got next? We've had Rogue. Um, let's move on. Drive along even at night. Wanna drive some drive some roads at night. Graham, what's it like being a night racer? Mm, this is um from Mastertronic again. Mm. Um coded by um Kevin T. Green. That's the Flash Gordon chromosome guy, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mm. Um and the musician here is David Dunn. Um so on the blurb, we have um, you take part in a nighttime rally through the pine forests of Central Europe. The organisers have decided that there are far too many competitors in the rally, so they have fitted all of the cars with explosives. Seems extreme, but okay. Um, there are These are set on a short time limit. If you do not reach the checkpoint in time, the bomb will go off and your race will end. You did want to be cremated, didn't you? Question mark. Uh, the only way to avoid this fate is to keep your... A foot to the floor, avoid the other cars on the track and keep racing. You will need to make use of the gears. Keep your eye on the control panel at the bottom of the screen and whenever the rev counter reaches maximum, change up a gear. The gear you are in is indicated on the gear lever in the middle of the control panel. Time counts down on the clock on the left of the control panel. When the red quadrant starts flashing, the clock is on its last revolution and you must make the line quickly. A stage map has been provided at the far left of the control panel. Map. Keep an eye on this to get advance warning of the upcoming bends. Avoid the curbs at the side of the track as riding over this slows you down, as does colliding with other cars in the in the rally. You score points for the distance you cover and a bonus for the time remaining at the end of each stage. At the start of each stage, a computer-controlled car starts alongside you. If you beat it to the finish line, you will be awarded an extra bonus. Ooh. That, that, so, so we have a, a, a racing game. We had one of these for a while. I was thinking about that. Not had one of these for a while, have we? Not not for a bit. Interesting. This is also recorded on a BASF tape, by the way, which I like to think is the sign of good quality. <laughs> you do like that, um, don't you? You do like when it tells yes. you what it was ta- recorded so, on. Now, it says on the tape here, this was programmed. Yeah, it was programmed by Kevin Green. So it must be the same guy, yeah. So so a driving game set at night, Adrian. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. Akin to a poor nighttime outrun style experience, really, when you get underneath the hood. The top part of the screen is your view of the race. Um, here there is quite an effective tree line nighttime effect, giving the illusion of driving down dark country roads. That effect is quite nice, in all fairness. It is, yes. Good choice, good choice of colours, good choice of the way it looks. It looks quite good. I'll give them credit where credit's due. I like that. It's a good 3D effect, yes. Yeah, it is. yeah. Under the standard eight bit under that is the standard eight bit game driving roadway, uh, complete with bendy sections and red and white edge stripes. So yep. pole position and that kind of pit thing. Pit stop two. Pit stop two. The car then sits a la pole position or pit stop two in the bottom of the road effect. Accelerate the fire button, left and right to steer, up and down to do the gears. Under that is your dashboard view, complete with a steering wheel, mini map, 
speedometer and rift counter. And like I said, the aim of the game here is to race through the stages, avoid the other vehicles and get to the stage ends to start the next section. Your counter does flash red quite, quite, quite quickly. Uh, and if you're not, uh, not at the end of the stage, you will explode and it's game over. So this is a simple, simple game. <laughs> Aside from the nice tree line effect, which is nice, credit where credit's due, everything else is a bit dated and rote. <laughs> do, do you like, <laughs> give those trees the credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. well, it, it is a nice effect. It is. Um, it's all been done before, apart from the trees. It's all been done before, this kind of racing game, and in better ways than this. And I mean, I know this is two pounds, um, so okay, it's two pounds. But there's nothing new here at all. In fact, if anything, is less of things. Um, the one minute soundtrack, by the way, is neither here nor there. It's one minute eight, that soundtrack. Now, bear in mind that you're going to be racing in this game for a long time. You know that the accompanying sound effect is going to be an annoying whine, which is some, meant to be some kind of engine drone, which it is. The annoying whine, which is meant yeah. to be some kind of engine drone. Uh-huh. Um, graphics on the whole on the cars, well, they're not bad, bad, but they're not good, good. <laughs> the bad um, good I, or good bad well i don't know i didn't like the way the sort of front of the car the, the way the car moved when you turned it was a bit weird it's like the front of the car moved and the back didn't and cars don't do that no no they don't <laughs> so I, I don't i don't i could sort of see why they'd want to do it steering the car was wasn't as bad as i thought it was going to be but you find yourself but you'll always be bumping into cars on the because the, the actual road itself is quite narrow it's, it's, it's a single track road essentially with the, with the white stripes in the middle but the it's meant to look like it's a lot wider but it's not you you could th- theoretically get your car down the left and one car on the right hand side but that never happens it's actually that bendy that you're, you're always weaving across the road in one way or another it's got that kind of inertia effect so hit a bend push the joystick to the left and then the car's going to eventually sort of push out and you can slow down and affect that and it's just controls like every other game but if you imagined a, a pit stop two and took away all of its all of the stuff that made it pit stop too, except the driving part, and then put a really nice tree line effect in it at night, you probably wouldn't be far off this. Yeah. Apart from that, there needs to be more to these racing games. It is only two pounds though, so I know it's two pounds worth of racing game with a nice tree line effect. I didn't hate it. Um I think I think it got a bit of a bit of a kick in at thirty six percent. I wouldn't have said it was that low. I mean, it's it's around the fifty or sixty mark, but it's certainly not thirty percent. It's worth it for that tree line effect alone, which is really good. Um, but I don't know, two quid. It, it's 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 passable value. You'd probably kill an afternoon with it. I don't think you're going to go for the longevity because there isn't a lot of variation in this. You know, you go for each stage and it's they're arguably exactly the same. So I don't yeah. know which deep forest you're in, but I'll tell you what, it's long on that road in there. It's gone for like, like two or three hundred miles just in the dark. You're yeah. never escaping out of there. Never. Um, there are better racing games out there. Pit Stop 2 is probably budget by now at this point, maybe as well. So I don't know. Are you, are you going to get a lot out of this game? I don't know. No, not really. It's another Mastertronic near near miss. No, it's it's not great. What did you think? Yeah, probably the same. I thought I was. I thought this was some kind of odd reworking of Atari's Night Driver from 1975. Um, that old classic. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I mean, it's, it's nighttime. Maybe nighttime. a little bit. Yeah, nighttime driving. I guess nighttime yeah. driving. Isn't it? Yeah, whatever it is. It's a bit of a. I said it's just a bit on the bland side, isn't it? It's just a bit on the bland side. Um, the track graphics are quite good, I thought, with a nice nighttime pine forest effect. <laughs> I even have written that down. It is really good. I was like, oh, that's really cool. The cars are not so great, though. They're all, they're all right. They're okay. Yeah. But, and, but the sound is that annoying whine you get in these games. But here's the thing. Why is it down to change up a gear and up to change down a gear? Yeah. Why? I kind of just got used to that quite quick, but yeah, a bit weird. I'm just pushing. I want to be pushing forward to... Well, you know, it just feels right. But you liked your controls reversed. No, yeah, for for looking, not for for, for gears. <laughs> it's just, yeah. just it's just weird. It seems very counterintuitive. Um, 
anyway, shame, as I do like the track effect to the forest. <laughs> Although why the track is all up, I don't know. Because the, this is the point of night driving, isn't it? You're not supposed to be able to see the track. So it yeah. kind of renders it moot that it's at night when the whole track is visible. <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, I thought, with, if they'd have done some atmospherics, like don't show the whole track. They could have headlights. done... Headlights. Yeah, just for some headlights, just sort of a, some headlight effect in front of you. Not like some 8-bit ones. It's sort of just like a couple of yellow, a couple of arcs. So it sort of simulated seeing the, the, the track. And then, yeah, could have the, done the, that. And then you were looking, because then you'd have to keep an eye on the map. Um and such as it is yeah i thought well i thought the map was all right in the bottom left it, it did follow the track so i was quite happy with that so you'd have to look at the map to know where the corner's coming because you couldn't see him because you didn't have enough you know you couldn't see it properly with this you can see him coming a mile off because you can see the whole track which then renders it pointless being at night you must have the strongest full beams ever well to be fair there are some bright ones there, there are but this like lights up you know the next continent um i don't know yeah or they could have like you know and then in that darkness of the track where the track is they could have just had like little red Red lights is that red, you know, tail lights is the other cars coming towards you. Yeah, that well, would have been, been quite nice. And themed it better, I guess. Because if you think, what was that one we played? That train one. Um, uh, I can't remember the one, but that sort of funny train one where you went in the tunnel and you could just see the eyes. Oh, that was um, that was that. Um, I would say Cactus Jack, but that was the film. Yeah, like, but wasn't it? that that sort of thing. But that's what I mean yeah, by yeah. doing something where you show something with a bit of atmosphere and you don't need a lot yeah. of graphics to it. So yeah. it could have just been two little red dots just getting wider yep. apart as they come towards you. And I think that, with a bit of thought, that would have really lifted this and gone, oh, you know, this is, it's a thingy, but it looks quite cool and would have made it more fun to play. You've blown the 199s with the time that this got. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. It's just it, you just it's just it's not night driving because <laughs> you're not at night. You are at night, but you can see the track, so it's like, well, whatever. Yeah. It's all right. It's just bland. It's, it's I don't know. time at the top. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's very dark in those trees but and at the, in the sky, but that track is illuminated. It's glowing from beneath. <laughs> It is a bit. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm being picky, but it is what I just thought they could have thought about that. But yeah, two quid, I suppose. It's a two. If they'd have just got rid of the nighttime stuff and just said it's a racer, I'd be like, oh, yeah, okay, it's all right. Yeah. Day racer. But it looks like it's at night. Shut up. <laughs> we filmed day for night. That's what we've done. That's what they've done. They've filmed yes, day for night. Yes. Yeah, they have, yeah. There we go. It's all right. It, I think, I think take you're the right. Stripes off the edge. Yeah. <laughs> the white and red stripes. Take them off the edge. Don't have them. Don't. Yeah, don't have them. Don't have them. Just make the make use the darker well, shade of grey well, for the track we as well. Know, we know that the only reason they're there is to give the illusion of speed. Yeah, Without those, well, it wouldn't have any, would it? No. Well, well I don't but, know. It would come a little bit from that top effect. That and top you also, effect it is quite nice. And you've got the white lines down the middle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah those pine trees are very nice. It's a very clever effect. <laughs> very clever effect. Anyway, there we go. That's uh, pine trees. Um, we we like well like them, but not the game. Not the game. Let's move on. We've still got one more to get through this half. Jesus, going on forever. Let's get to it. And our last one, uh, this part is Typhoon. Typhoon. This is nine pounds. Uh, this is another barely remembered arcade title. Did you? Do you? Do you remember this? I don't remember this. Um, and it's been ported to the home machines. And this time, it's Ajax. This is actually called Ajax in the arcade. Um, the original title was Ajax. This came from Konami in 1987, but it got its UK ports in 1988, where it was renamed to Typhoon, which is what we have here. So it was uh, the name was changed from Ajax. That's A dash dash Jax um, to Typhoon. Uh, this port comes from Imagine. It was coded by Zach Townsend, so set expectations to hard. Um, with visuals from Andrew Slate and music by Jonathan Dunn. We know all those names. Um, these three have worked on loads of Imagine and Ocean stuff uh, before and after this. 
whether it's Jonathan Dunn doing music, Andrew Slate did Yeah Kung Fu 2 and other stuff, and Zach Townsend, Game Over, and all kinds of bits and bobs. Uh, um, it's an arcade port, okay? So this is a straight arcade port. So we get a nice title screen by Mr. Slay, uh, and then a decent title page with some good music and little in the way of options. You can change change it from sound effects to music in-game, and that's it, and you've got a high score table as well. It's a multi-load game. It's another multi-load arcade game. Um, but at least in this, the first level is loaded in, so you, you can, it starts off straight away. So that's okay. But this, yeah, yeah. Um, but this is, you know, I, I wasn't sure what to expect from this, and what I was expecting was like a top-down shooter. So this is this first stage took me by surprise because um, this is a two, almost like two-part arcade game with two very distinct sections that alternate as you progress. So in the opening section, you control a typhoon jet from behind and you're flying into the screen afterburner style that's what not what i was yeah. expecting the slightest waves of jet sort of spiral out you, and you're flying directly into clouds there's loads of clouds coming at you and it's actually quite a good effect this is pretty decent waves of jets fly out towards you they sort of spiral out um and you can and you have to steer your jet around the screen trying to take them down with your bullets and missiles which fire at the same time they're shooting at you uh they fire back so you know expect to collide with either the missiles or the jets themselves because it's hard um, as you try and make it to the end of this, you know, end end of the section and get to the uh, end of section boss. Um, so yeah, this this section is actually pretty decent. There, there's nice um, sprite scrolling effect on the jets. The way they spiral out, it's all good. The clouds have a nice effect. It's the same effect that go on t- time and time again. But this works pretty well. I thought it was quite a decent approximation of the arcade original which i went and had a look at um if you do get through the clouds and you get past them um you realize you've actually been flying straight down which is you know vertigo almost vertigo inducing at a point you're like you're just heading you're just heading straight down uh and now you've got to avoid the fire of a a large aircraft carrier which is right beneath you and you got to try and take it out by just shooting at it and bombing it and just avoiding all the bombs it's flying up to you it's quite chaotic there's a lot going on here and it's quite hard um, but it's doable. It's not terribly. It's not dead hard. You, you just got to sort of give it a few cracks. I got through. So you got to move on to level two. So level two loads in, and now you pilot a small helicopter, and it becomes a more standard vertical scrolling shooter, like Tiger Heli or what, a Flying Shark or those kind of things. It's that kind of stuff um, where you are beset. You can, so here you're beset by multitudes of planes, boats, surface-to-air missiles, submarines. Um, electric balls that fire out of the clouds, which is kind of weird, um, but they are actually straight from the arcade. Had a look, so nothing here is not in the arcade. So, in fact, everything from the arcade is here. It's, they've done, you know, everything's there. There's all kinds of crap going on. You're trying to make it through. So, at this point, you have a smart bomb as well. You can launch that with the space bar, and that sort of fires up. And it's not a particularly great effect. It's just a big orange blur. This ball just sort of appears and just destroys everything on screen. Um, including bullets, kind of handy. Um, as you progress as well in this section, there are also waves of red enemies or singular red helicopters that come down. And if you destroy them, they'll drop power-ups. So they've got power-ups as well in this, and you can pick them up. So again, these all from the arcade. You can, These power-ups, you've got V, which gives you Vulcan fire, which seems to fire a sort of fiery bomb in front of you. There's B for more damaging bombs, because you because the way you shoot in this is you fire enormously. So it's kind of almost like Xevious, and the fact you have a target in front of you, and that you're also dropping bombs as well as shooting missiles as well constantly. Um, so you do different things. So B, you get more damaging bombs. You can pick up a three. That gives you three-way fire. You can get T for triple fire. You can get L for laser. Um, and there's an O for double firepower. Why is that not D? I don't know. 
It might have been a D. I don't know. I couldn't read it. Um, and I, you, you want to try and get these because the, the, the waves of enemies and bullets, they come thick and fast. This is a busy, busy game. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of enemies, a lot of bullets, a lot of waves of stuff just you know all over the place. And it's very smooth and nicely done. Zach, Zach Townsend has done a cracking job in coding here. Um, there's some really good stuff. It's some really, you know, it's a good shoot 'em up. Um, should you, if you make it through this section, if you destroy the end of level boss, uh, you, there's more vertical scrolling shooting to be done. This time you're over jungles, same kind of enemies. Uh, and then after that, there's some kind of weird purple industrial location. I don't know how to describe it any better. If you make it through these levels, you go back to the skies, back to the uh, sort of 3D section. And now your head is now your jet is hurtling down a canyon, once again avoiding missiles from aircrafts and tanks this time. Um, and that's quite a nice effect. You've got this sort of quite fast sort of 3d canyon that you're sort of um, you know flying down and the boss at the end of this level is pretty impressive it, it kind of rises from behind the landscape and sort of rise up and it's this massive kind of tower big ball tower thing and it's just spewing these sort of balls of death at you and that's you know you got to shoot that it's actually pretty decent some nice graphics here and some nice effects if you kill that you're back in your helicopter you've got two more levels of ground-based shooting if you get through them you're back in your jet and you're flying out to space and you've got to take down the evil space station or something i couldn't find a story on this i don't think there is a story you're just a typhoon best typhoon pilot and you've just got to go shoot stuff it's the best pilot you can do and that's it so it's a brain dead shooter with two weird um you know uh, gameplay styles bolted together kind of odd um yeah it's kill everything and try and survive um there are you know looking at this critically there's some aspects of this that are better than the others it runs pretty smoothly and and give it give it its due this is well coded i think the ui and the border trick allows for plenty of space for the game to take place so it doesn't feel crushed in there's there's you know you don't feel hemmed in there's none of that sort of flying into scenery or anything like that when you're in the helicopter parts you've got the full screen to take place and it's still hard there's lots of stuff going on the 3d effect for the levels is pretty good it's fast enough to work um the only thing is the scaling on the bombs fired at you by the jets um it's just not enough they're too big and they don't scroll fast they're so the you know in the way that the jets get bigger the bombs don't so it's it's hard to sort of judge where they are in relation to you um i hit them far too often because i thought i was clear of them but i wasn't um and that was a bit annoying the vertical scrolling part it's fast again there's lots going on although i thought the graphics were a little murky um and they're not very crisp they're just a bit they're a bit fuzzy i don't know they could have been a little more well defined some better definition on some of the sprites i think but you know it moves at a fair click um and it offers it's certainly challenging but it doesn't feel too unfair this some of Zach Townsend's other games felt really unfair this doesn't I got quite far into it and I thought you know I thought oh, with a bit of, bit of uh, perseverance I reckon I could get quite far it's okay the problem is it just feels derivative of other games that do the individual parts of this better it's not as good as Afterburner although I haven't played the C64 version yet I can't really remember it yet so I don't know how that transfers I think there is a C64 version of Afterburner in there I'm sure there is um I'm sure there is one coming. Yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah, 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 there is. So I don't know what that's like. I think that's what's his face in it. It's Chris Butler, I think, did it, wasn't it? I think. I could be wrong on this. Yeah, don't quote me right, this. Yeah. I haven't looked because I haven't looked because I'm not sure about it. So I don't know. That, you know, it could be terrible. Who knows? Um, and it doesn't feel as good as some other vertical scrolling shoot ups that we've played either. Um, so it's kind of a it's a decent version of each one, but neither is kind of as good as other variants if you just want that pure version of that kind of thing. As a package, though, I think this offers a, a lot of blast in action, and if that's what you're after. And it is varied, um, with the two sections offering some decent sort of you know different things to do. And it is a pretty faithful rendition of the arcade game, right down to the tunes. Um, the tunes are very similar to the arcade as well. Um, I think the score is about right. It got 79%. I think, yeah, I think it's a solid port of an okay arcade game. So you're always left with the deficiencies of the parent to overcome. 
which is what I think this the main thing is here. It's an okay, it's a pretty decent shooter, this, and a good a good uh, arcade port um, with some nice technical um, chops on display. I thought it was all right. I quite enjoyed this. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't expect what I got, that's for sure. Mm. Some of the perspectives, the graphics sort of broke my brain a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I quite liked that opening 3D sort of aero shooter style thing. Um that was quite a nice effect. I mean, I know the background was just the same thing over and over again, the cloud thing, but it's, it sort of worked, you know, it worked and it was fast. I mean, no, no denying that. It was really, it had a really run at a pace. Mm-hmm. So it's blocky and stuff, but okay, when it's running at that kind of pace, you're not overly worried about that. Um, and it isn't relying on stripy raster bars to give you a sense of speed. It actually feels like you're shooting through the clouds. The second bit's not as good. So when you get to do the, when you actually realize that you dive bombing the aircraft carrier, um, the way the aircraft carrier is presented sort of lets it down a bit. All of a sudden, you've just got this blocky mass on the screen in the center. And in the arcade, bigger sort of, and blockier. In the arcade, it kind of rotates around as well as that effect is missing. But Yeah. But. So I think it's just, you know, the limitations are what, what they are. But I don't know if there would have been a better way of doing that or even maybe not even have that bit in it if it's not required. I don't know. So you get all the, you think when it first started, I was like, wow, this is, this is actually pretty pretty damn good mm. and then you get that and you're like oh here we go now i'm suddenly reminded of the, the vehicles in um the is it test drive when the police car was just that big blocky mass behind <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, all right and then you get so you get past that and then you get to the sort of um the helicopter shoot em up part which i thought was actually pretty good yeah it's a good little shooter in its own right graphics are good sprites are quite nice dead responsive the occasional flicker bug but nothing to worry about too much um, loads of power-ups, loads of stuff going on. A busy old screen full of stuff. Yeah. Hard. Hard as nails. In fact, the whole game's rock hard. Um, arcade difficulty ramped up to C64 levels of crazy. <laughs> um, the later 3D sections actually get worse and worse, though. That's the that's the, such a shame. So later, you end up in this horrible, blocky, space harrier-type vibe, and it's not good. The wall's coming at the side of the screen, like a really bad version of that kind of effect. It's just, it's not nice. It oh, the canyon the bit. Yeah. I didn't think it was that bad. Nice. I thought it was okay. It just, it's just, uh, it's not as good as the, because you go from, you sort of, the first part's quite good with the clouds. Okay, you get away with it. Then you get resented with the big blocky ship and you're like, mm. then you get a helicopter bit and you're like, oh, okay, this is quite good. Then you get back to the blocky ship eventually and you're like, oh, it's just, I don't know. It's just some parts of that aren't as good as the other parts. And so it's a bit like, oh, uh, yeah. Uh. Hey, uh, that's what I said but, about. It's like it's rely. You've 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 only got the parent machine, haven't you, to sort of draw from? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And but what they've done is pull a lot of good stuff together. Um, it's quite visually interesting. That when it's good, it's good. Um, it's next to impossible difficulty wise. <laughs> I mean, I didn't last two seconds, but it, it's, it's pretty good. It's a good package for eight ninety five. A lot of you're getting quite a bit crammed into one thing. Um, got seventy nine percent, didn't it? Um, I think maybe it's. It's just, I think it's some of those little things that have let it down because a little bit of tidying up maybe or maybe a little bit of less trying to cram everything in and maybe focus on some really good parts. I don't know. Because I thought that the helicopter shoot up part was one of the better shoot ups we've played in ages. Um, top top down shooters, um, it is and good. I, quite, yeah, I yeah. quite enjoyed that. So I don't seventy nine percent seems maybe for an arcade conversion of this type, very brave attempt. But they put a lot of thought into it. I quite like this. Um, it's, it really surprised me, I'll be honest. I didn't expect what I got. And I quite like that when games do that. You're like, oh, okay. And it's, they've tried something and they've had a good bloody go at it. Yes, there's blocky bits in it, but I don't know. My only thought was really that long-term, because there is a, a genuine arc to this, isn't there? Because you sort of progress and you go through yeah. different things. And, and you you also, things. it's also nice as well to get a continue, one yes. continue as well. If yes. you get to the, if you, because it's quite hard to get through that opening section. 
If you get through that and into the helicopter bit, if you lose all your lives, you get to continue in that section, which is a nice, yeah, yeah. nice affordance, and, yeah, and, and you get all your lives back just to start that bit. That's good. As a pack, as a package of things, it's say it's got for eight ninety five. It's got a lot of good stuff going on in there. Um, so yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I would advise anyone who's never thought of playing this game to go and play it because I think it will surprise you, surprise me, surprise you. Mm. I think it's uh, it's a surprising thing. But the score, I think they just scored it based on a a version of an arcade of some description and perhaps they've they're used to seeing other arcades around that time that are you know quite snazzy but i thought it was pretty good so yeah definitely worth a visit and an interesting an interesting game came a bit left field that one yeah absolutely i mean like i said i didn't i had no idea what it was so we thought it last week i think we were saying we, we, we were thinking it might we be, thought it uh, might be vectors yeah vectors. well then you checked and it, you checked and it wasn't and we wasn't yeah but but yeah good stuff there we go typhoon who knew there we go that's it that's a long part it's a long half um section whatever you want to call it well, that's four games reviewed. We're going to uh, take a quick break and then we will be back. We're looking at the UK albums this month. And I'll, I'll explain why when we come back. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Growing up in the 80s is a chore for Sarah, who feels misunderstood by her parents and badgered by Reese, her bothersome brother who incessantly prattles on about his treasured computer games. When Reese tells her one of the games tried to pull him inside the computer, she laughs off his fanciful fib. She waggles the joystick to disprove his fairy tale and is pulled into the computer. Now trapped in games she'd never had any interest in playing, how can she possibly beat them? With the help of Feisty Nell, another trapped player, can Sarah find her way back home or is it game over? An evil madman, a hostile planet, bloodthirsty robots, a never-ending throng of karate experts and relentless digital soldiers will do their best to ensure Sarah never escapes. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, find out if there's a way out of the beige bread bin of betrayal for Sarah in Escape from the Commodore 64. And we're back. And breaking from usual tradition, we're looking at the albums in September 1988. Now, we're looking at the albums because obviously next episode is episode 100. We've got plans for that. There are things afoot. Things will be happening. One of those things that is afoot, um, in the words of Sherlock Holmes, is uh, that we're going to be doing the singles, obviously, but we're going to have Mr. You know, Gary, uh, the Rapmeister, Wilson, um, in in again to do the singles, and he asked if he could do the singles again. So it made it a little bit of a rejig, but it's you know it's fine. We'll do we, the album. We can accommodate this week. him. We don't like we to accommodate him and his gremlin ways, but no, yeah. absolutely not. Uh, and the amount of brown sauces requested on his rider is just just ridiculous. Mm. You know. Riders on a storm, brown sauce. Riders on the sauce. In HP, we trust. He, he, he probably does, although, you know, I don't know what his preference for Brown is these days, whether he's a HP or a... I think he's always, he's, he was, you know, he, he's a HP man. Always Times being what they are, it could be Aldi brand now. True so PH. PH. Oh, it's a bit acidic. <laughs> oh, anyway, yeah, he'll be, he'll be along. Uh, is that chemistry jokes or physics? I can't remember. Um... <laughs> Anyway, right, let's get some albums then, shall we? Number one albums, first two weeks of September, Kylie, Kylie yeah, Minogue. She's still there. Still she won't there. go. She won't leave. She's still there. No, don't blame her. 
Nimble no. is a nice place to be. Um, in for one week, Hot City Nights. Goodness me. <laughs> Various artists. I told you it was good, and the public agreed. I knew it's not it was, that it's a good album. It good. It's just got a Bon Jovi track on it. <laughs> it's got a Rush track on it. That's what did it. <laughs> yeah, so that's what solved it, yeah. So uh, we went through this the other week, but yeah, it's a good album, that. Um, I have all the songs anyways, who cares? But it's a good album, apart from those ones I don't like. Um, and then in coming in for one week at the end of the month is New Jersey by Bon Jovi. Oh, what an album that is. It is a good album. This is their fourth studio album. This is the month of fourth albums as well, by the way. There's loads of these. Um, month of four. A month of four. It was produced by Bruce Fairburn. Uh, who cares? Um, it's the follow-up to the band's third album, Slippery Went Wet, and reached number one Billboard 200 chart. Songs include Bad Medicine, Lay Your Hands on Me, Born to Be My Baby, and I'll Be There for You, among oh, others. Such good songs. Such um, a good album. Such a good album. Yeah, you're a big fan of this, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. Richie Sambora, it, well, up to the point when he was on The Masked Singer, was my favourite guitarist. It, he was, eh? Yeah, he was on The Masked Singer. Oh, no. Tell me about it. And he was dressed as a giant jacket potato. <laughs> I mean, fuck my life. <laughs> we, we really have entered time trumpet. <laughs> we have. <laughs> when Richie bon Sambora jo- is dressed as a, as a jacket potato. potato. Jacket potato in a... <laughs> What? I know. No. Just honestly, just <laughs> Tesco invaders. Hand, <laughs> hand me your cool badge on your way out of the door. Um, now he, uh, he, yes, he was aside from recently performing as a jacket potato. Um, he is actually an exceptionally good guitarist, and was at this point. That's my favourite album of Bon Jovi's, and that's my favourite performances from Richie Sambora on that album. I absolutely love it, and especially love uh, Lay Your Hands on Me and Bad Medicine. I think they're brilliant Bon Jovi tracks. Oh, they are, absolutely. Um, I I rushed out and bought that album, you know, on on its release, my eager money that I'd saved last week because of the potato thing. I I, I forgot all about it. I rushed all the way down to the shop, all the way down to the co-op. And they were like, you're you're well late. No, I uh, I I remember going out and buying it when it came out um, because I I obviously was a big fan of um, Slippery When Wet. And I was getting into a sort of different different music at this point. I was already into quite quite into sort of German metal and some some of that sort of more speed metal type stuff. I don't know what you really call that, but hard metal, I guess. I don't know. But I've always had a soft spot for Bon Jovi, and particularly because I like Richie Sambora, and that album is Ace. So yeah, there's um, I think it's in Born. I think it's in Born to Be My Baby. There's a picture there. The bassist has undergone some severe spanierin of the ear. Yeah, there was a a bit of a trend of backcombing. Um, I don't know what's worse, backcombing your hair to that extent or wearing some kind of (laughs) denim uh, Denim waistcoat. (laughs) With a a picture of the band on it. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I don't know. And But, you know, what do we know about the bassist of Bon Jovi? Bon Jovi, I don't know. He's got massive backcombed hair. Strangely, New Jersey was also released by the Soviet state-owned record label Melodia. And it was the wow. first American album to be officially released in the USSR, according to Wikipedia. To celebrate, it was wow. to celebrate the band's 30th anniversary in 2014. The album was repackaged with bonus tracks. Well, there you go. I don't suppose you can get it now. So, anyway, probably not. No. Oh, yeah. Good album. Some go and listen to it. Done. Go and revisit. There is it. If you don't just listen to the other tracks as well. Everyone knows "Bad Medicine" and "Lay Your Hands on Me" and all that. But there's some really good other tracks on that. It's a good, solid album all the way through. Really good. Mm. All right, let's get into our albums. Then, 4th of September. Um, in at number 16 is Twice the Love by George Benson. Oh, you've got to love a bit of the old GB, getting a bit of GB on the go. <laughs> Only twice. Oof. Only twice the love. I'm not falling yes, for that again. But twice his love is 
20 times more than any normal man. (laughs) (laughs) You need many towels. You do. You really do. You really do. Ringing them out for weeks. Um, In at number 30 is answers to nothing. That's mid-jaw. Or, or no one. Yes, he doesn't answer to. He answers to nothing and no one. It's because he's deaf. Um, <laughs> so can't hear you. Well, he just, he just, yeah, he sets his ring doorbell up way too loud, and um, yeah, can't can't hear anything. He's his own man, Major. Major. What did we Major. say he sounded like? Major. Major. Was it? A, was it a cough suite? I think was it, or a <laughs> I think so. Lozenger or something. I think <laughs> recall, was it something like that. Major. In at number 46 is Short, Sharp, Shocked by Michelle Shocked. I don't know mm. much about Michelle Shocked. I do very little. She sounds like it's a bit country-ish okay. um, that I listened to. I had a couple of listens. Um, I didn't really listen to me. Interestingly, the photograph of Shocked that appears on the cover was taken by Chris Hardy of the San Francisco Examiner protest in San Francisco during the 1984 Democrat- Democratic National Convention. She does not look happy. Um, no. This album no, was reissued. Doesn't. And because he's been hauled off by the cops on the front on the front of this cover, it was reissued, yeah. and essentially they cropped all the cops out on the front cover of the reissue just to sort of just had a close up of her face. How weird would that be? Yeah, but they actually had the full picture then on the back. What stupidity is this? And she looks more choked in that than shocked. Really, she's been choked. Yeah, it's not a particularly nice thing, is it? And no, it's just, not you know, a nice image to put on your album. That. No, but it, well, obviously she wants to get her message across. Short, sharp, yeah, short. The moustache on that copper in the background. <laughs> He's not Crazy looking happy. Crazy moustache. Yeah. That moustache, he looks a bit like um, Flanders. <laughs> yeah, Ned he Flanders. Does, he does a bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to chokely dokely. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Uh, chokely dokely. <laughs> oh, I like that. Uh, anyway. <laughs> I don't, I don't have anything more to say about Michelle Shocked. I mean, no, I, can't I don't know anything her, about it, really. Um, but that's about <laughs> it. Uh, and at number 81 is 16 Lovers Lane by The Go-Betweens. It is the them. sixth album. We have heard of them because we asked the exact same thing before. Um, oh. I think some of our Australian listeners put, uh, told us about oh, them. Oh, that's we right. Were, yes, yes, yes. I remember now. Indie rock group The Go-Betweens. Um, prior to recording the album, longtime bassist Robert Vickers left the band. And the other group members started to return to Australia after having spent several years in London, England. He was replaced by John Willsteed. Sure. <laughs> the go-betweens, similar to the go-go's, the in-between, the go-go's, they're the go-betweens, and then they're the ones the in the, they're the, ones in the, the middle. They, 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 you know, they they sit in between the, the go-go's. The go-go's and, and the betweeners. The go-go's and the talk-talks. The betweeners. The betweeners. There's a band. Uh, there's not a lot of albums. In me. There's some big ones, though. We're getting some big ones coming up. Uh, 11th Aye. September, uh, number two is Rank. By the Smiths. No. <laughs> I've just read it probably is. Yeah, it will be. It'll just it be, will you know, be. And we just leave I it at that. I can't go out tonight because I haven't got a shoe to polish. <laughs> Rubbish. Yeah, true. In at number four is And Justice For All by Metallica. That's a good uh, album as well. Once again, the fourth studio album Ooh. by American heavy metal band Metallica. Um, it was first Metallica album to feature bass, new bassist Jason Newstead following the death of their previous bassist Cliff Burton in 1986. Uh, although Burton received posthumous credit writing credit on To Live Is To Die as Newstead followed bass lines Burton had recorded prior to his death. Ah. Um, I was reading about this and what they said about after touring with it, they were just like, we're never playing these songs again. (laughs) They're too long. Fair enough. (laughs) And they were like, it just takes forever. (laughs) 
Um, but then they did. You know, they still play one and things like that to this day. Oh, they have to. You have. To, they have to play that. It's the rules. It, yeah, yeah, it is. Are you a fan of this album? Yeah, it's one of my. I wouldn't say one of my favorite Metallica albums, but it's certainly. It's, if I'm going to listen to a Metallica album, that's the one I'll go for. Really? So they went Saint Anger. Would it over this Black or Master of Puppets? The Black album. Um, all of those are good, but if I'm going to pick any of them, I'll go. I quite like tracks off this one. I quite like tracks off all the others. I, it's one of those albums, you know. You could put it on, whack a couple of tracks on, you're going to like it. You know, it's it's, it's Miss Metallica. It's, it's ask someone to def- say, give me three albums that define Metallica. This is a one of them, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, true. It is. Like I said, but you don't you don't talk about Saint Anger. An album based on cheese is a bad idea. We've said many times before. <laughs> We've said it many times before. Yeah. Too this many is times. a good album. Let's go and listen to it again. It's good stuff. Um, uh, number twelve. In at number twelve is Out of This World by Europe. Ah. Out of this world is the fourth studio album <laughs> Another one. by the Swedish rock band Europe. Um, yeah. It was a commercial success, selling over 3 million units worldwide. Wow. Pretty good. Hit. Um, the four singles were released worldwide from the album Superstitious, Open Your Heart, Let the Good Times Rock, and More Than Meets the Eye. Um, Joey mm. Tempest is looking more and more like some kind of animal. <laughs> well, that's partly because what's on his head isn't his hair. That's actually his dog, um, Keto. So he keeps it. <laughs> so yeah. much hair on that front cover. There is. It's, it's just... Except one guy's forehead's overtaking his hair. <laughs> it's, it's, his hair is falling backwards. He is. It's a bit of a <laughs> and moon he's face standing that, up he? straight still. It's, yeah. a, it's a. It's a. Yeah. It's an interesting. The one on the top right as well looks like he's not in the band, but he's just like poking in. Hello. <laughs> Photo bombed it. Yeah. Hello. Get out. Yeah, no. I'm trying to think what animal Joey. It's like a fox or something. Well, the only other strange thing is, firstly, that I noticed was um, Michael Douglas appears to be joined the band at some point on the bottom right there. <laughs> the bottom right. Yeah. <laughs> Who knew? And and Joey Tempest is the only one with a perfectly symmetrical face. It's something um, wrong so with it, his face. It's because if you drew a line down the middle, it's exactly the same as a mirror face. All the others in the band aren't. They've got mirror faces, but except him. Is a mirror face. Yeah, it's just I can't I can't even say what I think he looks like. He's just weird. He's, yeah. He might be suffering from low polyism. But um, say what you want about him and his him and his crazy, you know, and his dog that's on his head. Um, he's, he's got, got a great singing voice, voice, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has amazing he's got a cracking voice. voice. Yeah. yeah, beautiful plumage. Beautiful plumage. <laughs> great, great dog on his head. And he knew my who knew, who knew um, Michael, Michael Douglas. Douglas was in the band. When did but he then? join? I don't know. This this must be for his uh, Catherine Zeta Jones days, I presume. Yeah, and the guy in the top middle is Crap Nick Kershaw, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The one on the top left reminds me of someone as well, and I can't Paul think Stanley. of Stanley is he's not is Aldi Paul Stanley, isn't he? <laughs> Aldi Stanley. <laughs> Aldi Stanley. <laughs> little Stanley. <laughs> little Stanley, yeah, it's little Stan, little Stanley. There he is. <laughs> oh dear. Hello. Hello. <laughs> little Stanley. Boggle. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Get lost. Get lost, little Stanley. <laughs> I don't want you. Go away with your <laughs> denim jacket. Um, in at number 14 is The Nephilim by Fields of the Nephilim. This is their second studio album. Ooh. Yeah. The Nephilim's opening track, <laughs> Enda Maniada, shares its name with mm-hmm. a 1968 Mexican horror film and features a man growling, Benetigadio, or something, which is sampled <laughs> from Rod, Ron Perlman's hunchback character, Salvatore, in The Name of the Rose. And there's a picture of... <laughs> Ron Perlman. Bloody Ron Perlman. His head is a Lego block. It really is. If you shred on that, you're going to be really, it's going to hurt for hours. If you you shaved his hair away, he's got a bobble on the middle of his head where he can attach other bricks and hats and (laughs) handy enough you can even store things on it. 
Oh, Ron. Surprising um, what you can put on his head. It really is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Name of the Rose. What a weird sample to put in. Pen, yeah, but very really anything to do, isn't it? Yeah. Some yeah. Ran, random. Sounds like he's sneezing, his German sneeze. But it's, it's good to get to. But yeah, I do remember Ron Perlman in that film as a, as a hunchback. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a very strange film. I remember Ron Perlman in every film as a hunchback. <laughs> That's true. Even Hellboy. Yeah. He's, he's, yeah. A, hunch, he's a hunchhead in that. Hunchhead, yeah. Number 20, Peep Show by Susie and the Banshees. It's quite a rock and gothy, gothy week. It, it is, yeah. Uh, Pete shows the ninth studio album by English rock band Susie the Banshees. Mm. There you go. It was their first record as a quintet, and with the arrival of multi-instrumentalist Martin McCarrick and guitarist John Klein, the group recorded a multifaceted album with a variety of influences. Now, we listened to the single. Yeah, and that's punk code for crap. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) That sounds like a bloody multifaceted album with a variety of influences. Down with the establishment. (laughs) Yeah. You sellouts. Yeah, absolutely. There's a bloody what's its face, an accordion on it. That's not punk. Well, the fact that they're on Polydor Records, isn't that a big quite a big label for a punk band? Yeah, there we go. Um number twenty four, Keeper of the Seven Keys, part two by Halloween. Yes. Who knew this came out number twenty four? No, crazy really that. Good yeah. album, isn't it? Keeper of the Seven Keys Part Two. It is a good album, yes. Yeah. yeah, obviously their response to Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 1. Well, they, they need it. If they do a Part 1, you expect a Part 2. <laughs> yeah, a <laughs> yeah. bit more operatic, I think, maybe a little. Um, there's more um, less tracks by Kai Hansen on it, I think, because obviously Halloween by Halloween was Kai Hansen on the first album, which was the kind of the big track, because they, you know, they're like Iron Maiden, aren't they? They're a German Iron Maiden. Yeah, they do. They're um, big 13-minute Closes, so, don't so, they? Yeah, so you got a big, big on, on. Of course, on this one, it's the excellent Keeper of the Seven Keys, which is by Kiss, isn't it? Written by Kiss, that one. Is it all written? I thought. Is it? I don't know. Maybe Keeper of the Seven Keys is Kiss. I think it was his response to you know, the Kai Hansen's big epic one, and yeah. that's that's fine. Now, there's some good tracks on there. Um, it's got the classic opening course, big epic opening, which is probably used for all of their live tours at the beginning before they come on stage, without eagle. a doubt. It's also got eagle invitation flight. in it. It's, it's invitation oh, yeah. at the beginning. Of it. And then you've got Eagle Fly Free. Um, with, with, with the demonstration of the largest lungs known to man. <laughs> yeah, that, you, you that can hold note, a note. Although, note. we've got a Bill Withers album on this list, haven't we? And if you we talk have. about a guy that can hold a note, Bill Withers, goodness me. Can he hold um, a note? Think of, think of um, yeah, yeah, think of, um, isn't it Bill Withers that did... Um, a lovely day gonna be. I'm sure, that's Bill with us. Um, and that track's that's got, it's got one of the longest held notes in music, I think, on it. Maybe. Um, but anyway, Keep It Some Keys Part 2, good stuff. Apparently branded as power metal, I guess. And they kind of, they're actually, I, you forget how influential and important Halloween are as a band, a German metal band. Because you wouldn't have all of your Wishmasters and all of your other stuff that came way later if it went on account of Halloween and to some extent Gamma Ray and other stuff. And, and I'm not saying it's just them. There's a whole bunch of bands around that time, but Halloween had a quite an important part to play. They were an interesting bridge for the people that wanted a bit more musicality and a European twiddly twiddly um, and less maiden, you know, thuddity, 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 thuddity. So I quite like them for that. I have always liked... Um, <laughs> These are the reasons why you write for the Melody Maker. <laughs> it's those who like. <laughs> it. yeah. Well, you, you see, you understood what I meant. I did um, very much so. I I have always preferred Kai Hansen as both a guitarist and a songwriter. I just do, and so I prefer not, not as a singer though. Well, in the right context and the right singing, um, like if you go to Walls of Jericho, Halloween's sort of first album, I prefer Kai Hansen's vocals and his performance on that. The remaster of that's brilliant, by the way, that album. Um, the second album, which is a, a really good album, Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 1, 
that's got a amazing Kisk vocals in it. I mean, there's no no denying it. And his style of singing, that kind of stuff, is just unbelievable. He's only 18, I think, at the time when he recorded that. Mm. And then you've got Keeper of Some Keys Part 2. It's a little bit more hit and miss. You've got tracks like Dr. Stein, which I don't like, but you've got I Want Out, which I really do like, but I Want Out was written by Kai Hansen. Um, you've got other tracks on there like Keeper of Some Keys, which is just amazing. It's an amazing, amazing track, and it's a bit of a journey as well. And then you've got other stuff like Eagle Fly Free and stuff like that. I don't know. It's Future World on that one. No, that's um, on part one. Is that part one? Okay. Yeah. So it's got uh, the bonus track is Please Save Us on the uh, on the bonus track for this and things like that. <laughs> is it written <laughs> please that way? Please save us. Yeah, please save us. Yeah. That's what it says on it. So on it, please, with lots of ease. So Keeping the Seven Keys part two, huge selling album for Halloween. Really, really put them on the map. They were always been a big stu- a stadium touring band. They were always on tour. Um, and obviously there's enough tracks on here to be able to have, you know, your crowd in the palm of your hands. Even if you just did stuff like I Want Out, Dr. Stein, Eagle Fly Free, Invitation was your opener, you got Keeper of the Same Keys, just off this album would be an amazing set. Um, and to think that Keeper of, the, Keeper of the Seven Keys, by the way, is 13 minutes, 37 long on an album that is 49 minutes, 23 long. <laughs> so it's quite a proportion of the album, really. Yep. Um, so good stuff. Um, just, yeah, I think it's... For me, not as good as Keeper of Seven Keys Part 1. Certainly not as good as Balls of Jericho. And it's a hell of a lot better than Pink Bubbles Go Ape. Um, uh, so well, That's not hard. Um, <laughs> but um, it was, for me, this is peak. These three, the three albums are peak Halloween for me. And yeah. I still listen to, I, I listen to less to the Keeper of the Seven Keys Part 2. I'm a regular listen to Part 1. Um, and because I, I love stuff like Follow the Sign and I really like Kai Hansen stuff. And I love Walls of Jericho. It's my favorite Halloween album by, by Miles. I love it. Oh, really? So, Mine's, yeah, uh, my, I absolutely. think mine's part, Keep the Seven Keys part one. Yeah, a lot of people's. I just like, I like tracks that are on, you know, and I really, really, my favourite Halloween track, um, sorry, my favourite Halloween track um, of all time is Judas, which is uh, off NEP. <laughs> Judas, Judas. It's just brilliant. <laughs> it's just, just brilliant, Judas. <laughs> I will be the one who sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you're going to sing it, sing it like that. You will be the one who's crucified. I love it. Crucified. I love it. Oh, and, uh, it's just mad pace on that track. It's it is. Insane. My favourite's um, Halloween. Yeah, Halloween. that'll come a close second to that. But That's just fab- I absolutely just love fabulous Jesus. that song. Just, and, then I'm, so- and then I actually jump across to Gamma Ray after that for Halloween yeah. type songs. Probably. But yeah, uh, you're right. Halloween's amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There we go. Uh, in at number 90 was the greatest hits of Bill Withers. There you go. There you go. When I wake up in the morning, because if yeah. you think of that track, a lovely day gonna be, and he's in the background, he goes day for ages. <laughs> it's still you singing. It. You could look it up. I know. I don't know. It's, I think it's famously long, isn't it? That it is quite long. Um, his his, his, his name is also the pun to a, the punchline to a joke, which I won't say. Um, <laughs> you can say it. What happens if you put a duck in a microwave? <laughs> what happens? Bill Withers. <laughs> <laughs> So the longest note, that, that note, by the way, is 18 seconds long. Oh. There, which is quite, quite long when you think about it. Uh, it's quite long. Um, on the 18th of September, in at number six was Sunshine on Leith by The Proclaimers. Oh, got their yeah. famous tracks on it there, I see. Uh, I'm going to be 500 miles. Yeah, yeah. that one. I don't think it's, of course, there. I'm, oh, I'm, I'm on my way uh, for misery <laughs> and happiness He's on his way with haggis <laughs> in his pocket and a bagpipe. Uh-huh. So, yeah, um, that was that went to number three in Australia. There was also uh, wow. There was an Australian exclusive track on the album as well, which was "Then I Met You." Wow. Okay. Look, Big look, in Australia. Lucky Australian people. They gave us um, 
Um, what do you call it? Was it <laughs> neighbours? They gave us Kylie and pretty no, people like that, and yeah, we, gave them, us, we yeah. gave them. We gave them. the um, What was the trap before that? They gave us the you know the Vegemite sandwich guy. <laughs> he gave us a Vegemite sandwich. What was that? What were they called? Uh, was it men without not men without hats? What was they oh, called? About, um, you're not about midnight oil, yeah? No, Men's no. Was, um, what were they called? Um, Land men down at, under. Do you remember the song? Work? Land down under. Men at work. They, we, they gave us men at work. You know, man down under, and then we gave them in return the proclaimers. Well, Scotland did. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't do that, but no. um, you know, and that's I think that's a fair trade. No, no. <laughs> and the proclaimers never got sued, did they? By by you know the scouts of Australia for nicking their you know. Bullabunga song, whatever it was. No, they did not. They did not. Um, so, you know, score one for the proclaimers, I guess. Yes. <laughs> in this uh, rubbish football game. Um, uh, in at number seven is Buster, the original soundtrack. Bah. Bah. As you say, bah. No. Bah. Who cares? No. Um, uh-huh. In at number 12 is The State of Euphoria by Anthrax. And Ooh, the fourth heavy. studio album again. Another fourth. Another fourth uh, by the American one. heavy metal heavy metal band Anthrax. Yeah. Not, um, not my favourite thing at all. It's got an awful album cover. It's not good, that is it? It's it remi- awful. Those images, those images on it are not good. <laughs> it's awful. Their faces. They remind me of the same sort of faces that are on that Hume Wervamp map thing from <laughs> yeah. Monster Club. They yeah. look like that's that's a collection of Wergoos or vamp Wervamps, <laughs> if ever I saw it. Hume, yeah, yeah. Hume Goos. <laughs> they're just they're just mock mocks or whatever. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shad mock. Well, they're not shad mocks. They're more like. Uh, Maddies. Maddies. Just <laughs> anthrax. State of Maddie. At some oh, point, we always end up falling back on the discussion about bloody shadmocks and maddies. <laughs> it's an important thing in our lives, that. I think yeah, it took me a while to like come to terms with the fact of how important it was. But when I did... You were, I was, in fact, a maddie. <laughs> but when I did, I found, just like my understanding of my dislike for the uh, Spy vs. Spy games, I slept very well at night. Well, yes, and in all fairness, it's how we came to understand Gary, podcast friend Gary, really. Once we'd realised that he was a maddie or a shaddy, um, it all made sense, didn't it? Brown sauce. I'd have to bring up the picture Jumping around his bedroom in his underpants. Is it the Monster Club? Monster Club, yeah. If you look up the Monster Club uh, monster lineage, Uh, um, if you Google that, it comes up pretty much straight away. Yeah. There we go. Let's have a look at these. I think Gary's more of a, I don't know, (laughs) looking at these. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's not good whatever it is no. none of it's good he, he might no, be a think, mock is yeah he's, he's potentially a mock there he's he might be he's i not, think he might be a bit of a, oh no he's a vamgu that's yes, gary yes yes here he is vamgu <laughs> or, yeah. or maybe a, a shaddy on the right there yeah i think you're right it's definitely one of those it's a shaddy yeah. or a vamgu yeah shaddy <laughs> it's not i don't know if it's shaddy i'd say more of a vamgu i think <laughs> He's got that straggly air. Oh, he could be. He could be a, a caddy. Yeah, but the shaddy's the shaddy's got that sort of furtive look about him, which he sort You're gonna of. You're going to have to publish this now to the Discord <laughs> and to for our non-Discord friends so that they have a clue what we're talking about here. Oh, just just Google Monster Club lineage. That's what you got to yeah, type in. Away. Look yeah. at the images, and there you go. Yeah, there's a website called ghoulieguide.com forward slash monster dash genealogy. <laughs> yeah. You go straight to it. Straight to it. Page, right there, there you go. We'll put it in the show notes. For um, you. And that? these these faces on the Antrax cover do look like them. <laughs> they do. <laughs> that was the point of it all. They do. It, it is. Um, <laughs> in at number 13 is Ancient Heart by Tanita Tikaram. Her day, mm, you're day, a fan of this though, aren't you? I do. I do like this album. I remember buying this album at the time and I do like it, yes. Um, folk, pop, singer, songwriter, Tanita Tikaram's first album. Um, 
pretty big success um had launched his career it there's one track on it valentine's heart and it's just ace it's just beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful song it's about the second to last track on the album um and you can stuff your arty crap it's not arty crap arty at all. crap, <laughs> arty crap. and it, you know i think it's incredible it was written by a 19 year old <clears throat> so yeah there you go that's just me yeah, it's each, you know to each their own i know it shows, it shows i have a heart underneath this yes. uh you know monstrous mon- monstrous facade <laughs> under your, your shaddy exterior <laughs> maddy exterior i've got, a, I've got a beating mo- heart mock. somebody else is like that i tore out and i'm eating tomorrow but it's all, yeah, it's all the same. yeah i just stored it under my top um uh in at number 19 is the spirit of eden by talk talk um no no yeah i agree no, don't talk. Don't talk. No, don't, I've never that. liked them. Loads of people really rate yeah. them, don't they? Not for me. Yeah, yeah. People, look, uh, people dig it. People do in dig at, it. In at number 48 um, is Fur by Jane Weedlin. Uh, is she Weedlin? I don't know. I Weedle don't know. Weedle? I didn't know much about this. It's the second album, obviously, after uh, she was in the Go Go's, wasn't she? Um, it has the songs Rush Hour, Inside of Dreams, and uh, Rush Hour. Everyone knows Rush, Rush Hour. Hour's a good track. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a weird track on it, though. Uh, there's one track on it. I, I can't remember what it is. Um, I've, I've linked to it, but I can't remember which one it is. Um, but it's uh, it, it's got a bit of a Nine Inch Nails feel to it. It's a bit... Interesting. It's weird. It's got. It's not what I was expecting at all. A bit pretty hate machine Nine Inch Nails. I don't think so, no. Resonant it's not juice. quite as punchy, but it's when, it's when the snare comes in, if you sharpened everything up and sort of made it a bit more... You could hear it if you went... If you give it the slightly harsher mm-hmm. sound. Got a got a weird into it, but not the vocals though. Nice but you hate machine nine inch nails then. Yes. So, yeah. Not, very early. Yeah, the first album, yeah. 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 That when they were a bit more synthy. Um yeah. yeah. Um in at number fifty three is End of the Millennium, Psychosis Blues by that petrol emotion. Just confusing array of words. It's like <laughs> you, you might have just won a crossword. <laughs> <laughs> or I might have like <laughs> summoned Beelzebub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't just, know. I feel like a fridge in, a, in the woods has just opened. <laughs> yeah, so red light it's, in like, it. <laughs> it's like a film in uh, it's like the film um, Interstellar. You've just solved gravity. We don't know how or why, but you have. Well done. That was it. That yeah. was the equation. It, I think it might have been. Or like or Evil Dead. Um, uh, in at number 60, 64 is Urban Acid uh, by various artists. Various artists. Acid. Probably something to do with that. As, as opposed to rural acid, well, that would be. Yeah, well, be a whole different acid, kind of acid. Or acid. <laughs> more country acid, yeah, more <laughs> West country. West country acid. Yeah, a bit more acidic, more cider. Yeah. <laughs> we make our acid with apples. <laughs> yeah, so it's not rural acid, it's rural it's cider. <laughs> rural it's cider. Um, 25th of September, straight in at number one, as we've already talked about, was New Jersey by Bon Jova. Yeah. Uh, in at number two was Staring at the Sun by Level 42. Um, ah. I've noted he didn't need to. His thumb could block out all celestial objects. It could, yeah. His massive bloody glonk. Bl- glonk. His bloody glonk. <laughs> his massive glonk and his, his odd hair. <laughs> the glonk uh, still plays the bass, even if it's not attached to uh, Matt King. <laughs> Good old glonker. Uh, in at number 15 is Bluebell Knoll by the Cocteau Twins, their fifth studio album. I didn't know they've been going so long at this point. No, see, this where's bloody Wilson when you need him. He's a massive Cocteau Twins fan, isn't he? Of course Huge. he is. Of course he is, because it's all... Yeah, it's just yeah, it's just they don't pronounce words; they just don't pronounce them. That's how no, they form there's, lyrics. There's, there's no lyrics. <laughs> What's that? You want a hot potato? <laughs> Sambora's over there. <laughs> it's Richie Sambora. <laughs> Look, I'm sorry, we haven't got any. <laughs> and if we did, I wouldn't sell them to you. Yeah, get out. 
Bog off. <laughs> um, Bog off, cocky. Get out. <laughs> yeah. Well, take your twin with her, with you. <laughs> two of you. We don't serve here. your kind here. Cocktails, <laughs> get out. Two of you <laughs> blaring in. Uh, weird. Number 17 is Workers' <laughs> Playtime by Billy Bragg. Uh, if I was no. on my break from work, I would not be listening to this. And I won't be bragging about it. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I like uh, that. It, it all goes a bit weird after this point. Number 26, and the beat goes on. 34 dance hits of the 70s. Yeah, you know what's going to be on there. All the 70s hits that you know of. It is. It's all of them. If you want to do a 70s yeah. disco night, this album has you covered. <laughs> yep. yep. You just buy this, get this album, and you're done. <laughs> it's, like, so it's just a get everyone on board the love train. Yeah. And that'll be, you know, on Chic, there and everything. The you can freak. Think of, yeah. Do, do, ah, it's all freak on it. out. Yeah. It's all on there. Yeah. Um, unlike, however, if you wanted to do a 70s disco night, don't get the next one because it's The Worlds of Foster and Allen by Foster and Allen. Oh, God, they're still going. Same <laughs> tracks, different order. <laughs> well, it looked like this is a some kind of weird double album with one half written by Foster and the other half written by Allen. Hence, The Worlds of Foster and Alan. They're just ironically, they write exactly the same songs. <laughs> and just really put a, oh, oh, You've you written what I've written. Oh, Foster, what have you done? Oh, looks like we've done the same thing, Alan. Oh, Foster. If only we knew we were going to record the same Shillelagh song. Pass me my poetry now. Got to drum the track for you. <laughs> oh, is it this one? <laughs> yes. How did you know, Foster? You're Foster. I'm Alan. <laughs> oh, we forgot who's who. You've got my pants on. <laughs> no, I haven't. I'm not wearing any. <laughs> Would you it like all some goes sugar? Strange, strangely dark from that moment forth. Absolutely. <laughs> a little insight there into the worlds of Foster and Allen. Foster and Allen will be back next. Well, the, it's the second album they released this year. And they I looked at it, there's more to come. They, they, and they're always oh, getting the charts. They're they always. Number 46 is Rare Groove Mix. Various yeah. artists. Rare, yeah. rare. Yeah, um, this is weird. Number 58, Balearic Beat Volume 1 by various artists. Nitzer Ebber on this. That's <laughs> I won't say they were really Balearic beats. <laughs> no, I listened to the track that's on this. Yeah, um, it's, they're not at all. <laughs> no, it's really odd. Joining the chant is a is an industrial kind of you know, yeah, electro yeah, yeah. electro synth industrial track. Nothing nothing to do with Balearic beats. You wouldn't you wouldn't be going you know clubbing in Ibiza and expect to hear join in the chant. Join in the chant because <laughs> the one I'm going to here, <laughs> which track, um, I can't remember who this one's by. Um, thrashing doves juice on the payroll is pretty much what you'd expect. Um, a bit laid back, sort of jazzy stuff. Yeah. But it's two, tra- it's two tracks after Nitzreb on the listing. Nitzreb should not be on there. That's clearly someone's Nitzreb, sorry, gone yeah. wrong. Something's gone wrong. <laughs> it's gone, yeah, I heard them um, once. I'm but, sure, but they're a Balearic. Did you say Belgian? No, Balearic. <laughs> I've met, I've met Lights Reb. I've, I've been in a nightclub when I saw a gig when they played in Derby at the warehouse many moons ago. And um, after they'd blown the speakers up, we got a chance to sort of chat with them and stuff like that. And if I'd have said to him, I've seen you on a Balearic Beats album, he'd have probably punched me in the face. <laughs> probably. Well, right, right, so. Right, yeah, so. right, so. You can't go Balearic Beat out in bands. It's just not done. No. Uh, and at number 67 is Tender Prey by Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds, the fifth studio oh. album by Australian rock yeah. band Nick Cave and The Bad Seeds. Always a band I thought I probably should like, maybe, but I never yeah. actually did when I listened to them. Not my thing. I know uh, um, podcast friend Gary's well into it, and he made a big point of saying something about Nick Cave, didn't he, in the, when he was on the last time? Yeah, yeah. he did. 
So, no. And we said, don't we, if they were Nick Cave in the Sunflower Seeds, they wouldn't sound nearly as, <laughs> as, as, as bad. No, no, they wouldn't. Or the poppy seeds. Uh, and fi- yeah, finally, at number 95 is Miami Vice 3 original soundtrack. Blimey. Scraping the barrel. <laughs> Very much so, yes. I looked Very at the track so. What tracks are on like... it, actually? What's on there? Chance to look. What's um, oh, that cover. That cover. Oh, the cover's amazing. It's They've been a, smoothed. It's, They've it's been air, smoothened. It's, it's been airbrushed it within an inch of its life. He's got literally got no pattern on his face of any description. <laughs> He's got nothing. And no one's no one's neck is that smooth. Wow, that is proper smoothing in. <laughs> um, so Sheena Easton, follow my rainbow. Yeah, what a bunch of rubbish on that. Yellow. Who, who oh, was yeah. Stray Cats, Jan Hammer doing New York theme. Yeah, why has it got James Brown on it? I feel good. Two yellow tracks and two Jan Hammer tracks. It's not good. No, no. And that's it. It was. It started off quite metally and then just dovetailed into just a load of... Compilation-y. Compilation-y, yeah. So that's it. That's your albums. We'll be back with singles next week. Right now, though, we're going to go take a quick break. Um, and come back. We've got four more games still to get through, so please stay with us. The novel Escape from the Commodore 64 by David Hearn is out now. Crash landing on a green planet full of vector graphics, can Sarah find a way to escape for real? Or is she stranded on a planet full of sun, sea and chippy tea forever? Imagine finding yourself in a cinematic karate game, having to rescue a princess or remain stuck under the run-stop key forever. What about finding yourself on a space freighter full of robots? Could you clear the decks? If you were transported back to a Wild West town having to round up outlaws, could you survive until sunset? What if you were a wizard with a cat who must color worlds? Could you beat the game or would a virtual guitar solo announce your demise? Sarah might just be another visitor, but she doesn't want to stay a while, never mind forever. Available from Amazon and all good online retailers, discover if there's a way out in Escape from the Commodore 64. Visit davidhernwriter.com to find out more. And we're back. Four more games. Um, see how we get through these. Um, my understanding is you didn't get this one up and running. No, Mr. no, I have. I can add no input to this discussion really because I could not get the game running beyond the first screen, and it didn't do anything from there. And I couldn't find a working version, so right. I had a look at it, but I've got. I can't explain or anything about it um luckily i did get it up and running this is the president is missing um this is 12 pound 95 disc only quite cheap for a disc only game usually they're 15 quid so whatever it is um this is one of those big impenetrable games we get from time to time and it's from cosme and paul norman um once again doing something very different from forbidden forest um super huey the like um although it, it does have a little bit it kind of in that sort of same area as what we saw with Chernobyl, Chernobyl and its interface that kind of he does these kind of weird games every now and again anyway what is this the president is missing the year is 1996 and the president of the united states has been kidnapped along with the leaders of 10 other nations but they're not really important because the president has been kidnapped <laughs> it's like no one cares about the other 10 nations the president's been kidnapped um, yeah, so whilst attending a meeting with 10 other heads of state in Liechtenstein, three helicopters, all knowing the correct call signs and passwords, swooped in, 
bombed the building with nerve gas and rendering everyone and rendered everyone unconscious. By the time everyone was back on their feet, the helicopters had legged it with all the heads of state aboard. What was odd about this was that no one knew the location of the meeting until one hour one hour before it happened. Mm. So there's something going on, and they were all they were all shipped in by the Swiss military. There's all strange things going on, and so and so and so forth. All very strange. And what it's it's now up to you to sift through all the information at your disposal and figure out what the hell happened here and where they are holding the president. Um, this is the disc version we're looking at. I believe there actually was a tape version later on, um, but from my understanding, it was limited. So I, I, I can't comment on that. I'm just commenting on the disc version here. So so if you played the tape version, I don't know. This is the disc version that I, I played through. Um, when the game loads, you ask for a series of information. Uh, you've got to input your name, your date of birth, your supervisor, which you can find in the instructions, uh, the code name, uh, passcode, uh, etc and there's a load of questions and then you're into the main interface once you put all those details in um the instructions for this uh there's quite a it's about a 20 page instruction manual with lots of kind of cryptic information uh information about people uh the statements that sort of talks you through the interface but it does it in a kind of way which is not particularly intuitive so that you've got to kind of work your way through this a little bit um and i'll do my best to try and sort of explain how this game plays um, so you get into this main interface, and it's a single screen game. This is kind of like Chernobyl, so it's all done from this main central screen. You've got four options. So at the at the top, there's some details about who your your details. Um, in the middle, uh, there's like a this is where the list of stuff comes up, and at the bottom, there's a you know a cursor flashing. So it's asking for your command. And so from here, you can you've got four options, and you've got to type these words in. You can either do files, agents, codes, or comms. That's C O M M S for communications. So if you type one of those into the interface, it brings up a sub-menu of options. So if you go into files, you get, uh, I think it's eight options. You get, uh, the first one is subject. So selecting this gives you access to information on 38 people of interest to the investigation. Uh, you can go to photographic, which gives a series of relevant images that are pertinent to the investigation, all of which can be zoomed in on as well and panned around with the uh, curse, uh, joystick. You can go into document which gives a record of the events of what happened. So you want to go in here first sort of thing and just read through all the documents because it gives you a step-by-step, moment-by-moment, sort of, you know, down to the sort of minute when people got knocked out, when the bombs hit, when people came round, what happened, and, and that gives you all this sort of information document by document. So it's quite interesting. You read through that. Mm. That gives you all the background to it. You can go into records. This gives you access to information on terrorist groups uh, and some other bits and bolts as well. You can so you can read through sort of some data around them. Um, you can get uh, this case pending. It's essentially just save and load. There's audio now. This ties into an audio tape that comes with the game. So there's it's actually this comes with. There's a lot of packaging with this, and one of the things it comes with is an audio tape. Um, we'll post the link to this audio tape. You can listen to it on YouTube. It's about 12 minutes long. The version that's on YouTube, the one I found, and and it's done like a sort of almost like a radio play. This is like it starts off with like a load of news. Um, news uh, sort of uh, reports like, oh, you know, the president's gone and this, and we found out that six eighteen oh three today, the president was kidnapped from this place and this and all this kind of stuff. And then there's these these um, audio files as well, which pertain to these, and it's like audio file one. And it tells you all this stuff. And so there's loads of information in them. There's even some Morse code within them that you have to work out. So there's, you know, it's kind of it, it does a lot of sort of mixed media stuff. This game, which is quite interesting. Um, there are reports which you receive from agents in the field, and I'll come to those in a bit, and confidential, and you've got to get actually clearance for them. So you've got to be – I couldn't get clearance from them, so I'm not sure how you get it, but you, you have to work your way through it. So all those elements can give you the background to the story, and I can tell you now, make some notes as you try and piece together what happened. You've got to – you know, you're on your own. There's not a lot here. You've got to work your way through it. 
Um, if you click, if you type agents, that allows you to communicate with eight field agents and you can send them off to surveil people or buildings. So that information you've got about the people or the places in the thing, you can send them off and they will, you know, you touch type their names in and they'll go off and, and keep an eye on them and they'll report back later with stuff that they may have done or things like that. So, you, you know, who knows who you've got to follow? You kind of got to work it out. Um, if you type in codes, this allows you to encrypt and send coded information, um, or you can decode encoded information that you have received. So you can send information to people, um, to places and things like that. And you can, there's loads of different ways to encode stuff. It's tons. You work your way through it and there's all bits and bobs and it's, it's quite complicated. And, and like I said, the information in the manual doesn't really explain it. So you've kind of got to play it a little bit by ear and, and just kind of go for it. Um, so, and the comms finally allows you to detain and question suspects or capture and secure premises. So again, if you think someone's up to nefarious stuff, you can you can tell them to go capture them where they'll be, or you can give an address and secure those premises if you think something's going on there, and so on and so on and so forth. So all of this is accessed by a series of menus, as I said, that appear when you type in the initial option. So if you type in comms, then these options come up, and that's, that's what happens. And you're free to peruse the information in any order you see fit. There's no... You know, you just go for it. It's just open to you to, to do what you want. The interface itself is, is rather bare bones. It's just a real-time clock at the top because if everything happens in real time. So as you're making your way through this game, the clock is always ticking. Um, I think as certain as the time ticks over, certain things will happen. Um, and so, you know, you get alerts from the State Department or an agent report or there's a bulletin. And these options will flash And if you, when they come in and you can press F7 to read them and access them. There is a lot to take in here. There's a lot of information and a lot of, um, a lot of data to try and process. Like I said, the audio tape that comes with the game includes the audio files, scene-setting audio drama, and it's pretty well done, actually. I, I listened to it. And I thought, this is actually pretty good. This is really quite interesting. Um, yeah, high production value as well. Yeah, there is. I thought, you know, it, I mean, it was produced. It was uh, released by Microprose, wasn't it, I think? It, it was um, you know, made by Cosme, released by Microprose. So it has, it has a bit of money behind it, I think. They, they, they went to town on this. I think it's um, an adaptation of a book, isn't it? I think. I think there is a book of this. Um, so I think this is an adaptation of that yeah, book. Um, so the manual, as I said, it does it best to give you information to get going. But you, like I said, this is a game you've just got to be taking notes to progress. Otherwise, you'll just soon get lost in a sea of stuff. Like, I have no idea. It, it, um, and that's maybe one of its downfall because it's not perfect. It's not. I think the interface could have been better. Having to press restore to go back to the main menu to look at the next next in the list of documents, for instance. So there's no, you can't go back. So you type in files and then you select documents and then you select what document you want to look at. And then it just comes up, it sort of scrolls down on the screen. You can't just sort of quit out of that document and then press the second one. You have to go all the way back to the main sort of menu option and then type in files, documents, number two. Read out, press restore, files, documents, number three. And that's not a particularly good process to have to go through. It's a pain in the ass, if I'm perfectly honest. And you have to do that for all, all, all the things. So press and restore always takes you back to that main point. And that's quite annoying. Disk access as well is pretty frequent. As the documents are on disk two, the pictures are on disk three, you're swapping back and forth. and duh, duh, duh. So it's that can become quite pain in the ass. If you want to look through different things quickly, you can't because you always insert disk here. This, you know, I was playing on an emulator, so you just select another disk. But I can imagine opening up your disk drive, swapping the disk over, turning it over, putting in a new disk. That would be a right pain in the ass. Um, but it is what it is. Also, some of the information is a little overwhelming. So when you um, look at the information on a person, for instance, it's just half a screen of text, and it's just a wall of text. No paragraphs. It's just a wall, half screen filled with text. 
Mm. And on the other side, and on the other uh, side of the screen is a digitized image of the person um, on the left of it, and it just feels really crowded. You like looking at it, going, "Oh, it's just instant eye strain, just trying to take it all in." There's no way of sort of passing that information because it's just a block of text, so it's hard to pick out the important parts. It just feels really crowded and you know hard to do. It's and it's this aspect of the game that puts me off. Um, I like the clandestine feel to this. The audio tape is a great way to set the atmosphere. The story is interesting to draw you in. But the playing of it, the actual interfacing with this game, um, going back to the main menu to get to the next in the list of whatever you need to do, the flow of how you interact with things, it feels really stilted, and it's not very user-friendly. Now, my thought on this was that maybe Paul Norman was trying to rep- maybe he was trying to replicate how government systems worked at the time. I don't know, but I don't care. This is a game, and I want to be able to interface this game and try and understand it a bit better. And I think if they'd have got someone in who could look at this from a design perspective, so Paul Norman's obviously a very, very clever code, and he's got all this stuff together, but someone just comes in with a design sort of and go, you can lay this out better. This could be presented to the user and the reader in a better way, because I think that's what's missing here. We saw something similar with the fourth protocol um, way, way back. You know, that was like 1985. And that had like its icon-driven menu system with things popping up and, you know, you know, very, very similar thing, did it in a very much more user-friendly way. And I can't help but feel, um, so, it, you know, it didn't have to be this way, the way that the information is presented. It could have been better and it could have been refined and it could have been more user-friendly. Um, and I think that's that's where this game falls down, for me anyway. And, and I, 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 I wanted an in, but it's so, you know, you either take it on its face at what it wants or you just and, it, and I think it's just a, maybe a step too far. It's an interesting game, and it's something different. It's very something something very different to what we normally play and what we normally see released. So fair play to them. It's well done, and if you have the patience to navigate the UI, then you're going to fi- certainly find a decent mystery underneath it, and you're going to probably enjoy your time with it. Though one thing though, at the back of the manual, um, so just to say, there's the, there's no ending in the game because at the back of the manual it tells you to send your findings to Cosme, gives you an address to write to saying, I think it was Professor Plum in the thingy, oh, blah, wow. blah, blah. And then they, it, they'll they write back to you to let you know if you've figured it out. So that's great in 1988. <laughs> Not a thing really open to you today. So I don't know, you know, I can, if you're going to go play this, you better, you know, you, you're going to come away from it going, well, I think it was this, but you've no, you're going to have no way of knowing is my understanding. There's probably something on the internet that tells you the right answer, but that's, you know, it's a strange thing. So it's this weird kind of multimedia thing it's like an almost like an it's almost like an arg um like this you know those old kind of things where you're kind of finding bits in different pieces of media like the tape and the the document and the reading the manual and looking at the game and looking at these bits and you kind of try to put it all together in that way it's quite you know it's quite ambitious and quite adventurous i just wish it was a bit more approachable in the actual game itself and that's what i thought of this but there you go i think you'd have quite enjoyed this if you actually did play it but i think you probably find the design of it would have hurt your designer brain i think a bit yeah the, the, the i mean I, I i couldn't play it i looked at it on youtube a little bit and i i just thought this it looked like a game you needed to play rather than just sit and look at the text on the screen and go that's good text isn't it so and i like quite like when it did photographs and stuff and all that it looked it looked interesting but it looked also like it would require a hell of a lot of time and i don't know if i've got enough time to get into something like that but still it's pretty impressive all the same yeah yeah an interesting package a lot came with it so go check it out and see you might get on with it and, and like i said we'll link to the audio tape there's a tape on 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 you you find it on youtube just with a youtube search it comes up so you know someone's already put it up so you can go look at it it's all there um yeah but you know you might like it it's, it's interesting different i'd say and there we go with that
Certainly different from our next one, our second ninja game of the uh, of the episode. Mm, um, yeah. And again, again, it falls to you to. Uh, is there more ninja in this? Um, this is Ninja Scooter Simulator. <laughs> Tell us about Stupid. it, Graham. <laughs> this is from Cysoft. Um Now, was this a? I hadn't written down who released it. Was it Mustronic? Was Mustronic? Uh, give me a moment. I'll find out. You carry on. I'll find out. Anyway. It doesn't really matter what released it. I couldn't really find much about who did it, other than Cysoft, I think. And they might, that might have been the Spectre it's version. It's Silverbird. So it's Firebird. Silverbird. So it's, it's a lot on all the different platforms as well. You just find yourself instantly questioning why those three words are even put together. <laughs> it's what three words? Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, it, someone's, it is, yeah that's, that's someone's that's house. house. Yeah, I think it is. Uh, I, I've lost. I've lost in the middle of nowhere. Could you give us your three words, please? Ninja Scooter Simulator. We'll be right there. We'll be right there. <laughs> This scored thirty percent by some somehow. I don't know how this got one ninety nine is. Um, why? Why ninjas? What's it got to do with ninjas? Ninjas aren't on scooters, nor are they simulated. There's nothing about it that makes sense in any way. So we're back to that. It does not make sense kind of conversation. No, this is this is the Chewbacca defense all over again. Why not just use people that are ordinarily on scooters? Why not just have that? Why not just call it scooter simulator? Scooter why have the word simulator. ninja in it at all? Why? Why are they trying to milk the ninja teat? Could it be because there's a ninja game coming out and they probably heard, got wind of that? So maybe it can only be that, you know, there's no reason why you would release this as this other than it's got the word ninja on it. And maybe the people who like ninjas might think, oh, a ninja game. Um, so the game starts uh, with a really dreary tune, really dreary, not terrible, but it ain't nice either. So no. you know, turd flavored ice cream kind of thing. Um, title screen had a policeman running across the bottom of the screen for no reason whatsoever just running across the bottom of the screen yeah. um, it had a crappy logo at the top you could choose from redefining the keys the music only FX only or one or two players start there's not a lot to this game uh, the game involves you scooting on, as a ninja I guess uh, left to right across an obstacle course you control your scoot ninja with the joystick left and right is slow or slow down speed up up and down is up and down the screen space fire is jump um, there are jumps and speed-ups that you can hit, as well as walls and obstacles, which will cause you to crash, which you will also hit. Uh-huh. You will do that a lot, because most of the course design here seems totally and utterly arbitrary. Uh-huh. So there's jumps right in front of walls. There's gaps that you can't really get through. There's just It's just it's more of an endurance, how long you're willing to put up with this crap before you switch it off. That's This is what this is. This is a how-long-can-you-stand-it simulator. Yep. Um, so there's literally nothing really to... To even say that there's nothing holding this together. The bottom two thirds is your game window. Um, the upper third is your UI. Up there, you've got a lo- the logo of the game, one or two player scores, and a countdown clock. You've got to try and get to the end of the levels, such as they have before the clim- timer runs down. Um, at the bottom, it tells you what round you're currently on. The rounds are the same over and over and over and over again. I don't think there's any variation. Scrolling us, I suppose, smooth, but the graphics are really small and really badly made. The road is bright blue with yellow jumps. That's just stupid. <laughs> That's just stupid. Yeah. There's an attempt at some kind of background, I guess, but that's not good, is it? There's like a car there. Scale's all wrong. The car's as big as the scooter, or the scooter's as big as a car. Which which is it? <laughs> uh, it's meant to be some kind of city at night, but this is no uh, this is no night driver, is it? No, this is no no. no it's, it's nice it's, pine pine forest effect. Yeah, it's not, it's not that. It's just you know, no. it's nightish, I guess. Your ninja isn't a ninja. It doesn't look like a ninja. You know, it's, it doesn't, well, I suppose it could be a ninja. I mean, it, does this, if we're following the rules of ninja, does this mean that he is more ninja-y because he's not <laughs> dressed like a ninja than a ninja would be dressed like a ninja? <laughs> and he's at night, I guess. And because he's on a scooter, he's probably more prone to a ninja-y, isn't he? going <laughs> to fall off that thing, graze your knee. So in 
in an inverse way, this game is more ninjury than Last Ninja Two. <laughs> Your logic it's is not though, is it? It's, un- it's un- infallible. <laughs> it's, a, it's, just, it's just crap. This you just ride a scooter on an obstacle course, which is really small and bitty. Graphics are all small. It's all strewn around in a way that makes no sense. There's no path you'd follow or anything like that. You'd be forever falling off. You could do stunts and things on it, apparently. I didn't really try because I was too horrified by what I saw. Belt scroll type system where it just continuously moves and you can either go further into the screen or not and maybe a bit speed up. Meant to be on a road, I guess. At two pounds, this is poor, isn't it? Um, If there is a story to this, who, who gives a shit? I don't care what the story is. How did the ninja get up on a scooter? Why is he on a scooter? Why is he going through the park? Why don't you just walk? Um, why you know that assault course is only difficult if you're on a scooter. Just don't walk. Don't use a scooter. Suppose it defeats the purpose of it being a scooter simulator. Really, um, it's just garbage, and it needs to be put in a trash compactor right now. You know, a really bad one. Uh-huh. Crunch, crunch it to death. No, not no. Thirty percent. What? Why? Ten percent. Surely rubbish. What about you? Yeah, rubbish. Diametro cross knockoff with ninja scooter. Well, awful music. Awful glitchy graphics. The top half of your sprite keep despairing. Mine did. Just kept despairing. Yeah, yeah. There's bugs all over the shop. It was just yeah, rubbish. Yeah, nightmare. Why do I keep jumping when I go up or down? I just want to go up. Stop jumping. Let me jump Stupid when I press control the fire system, button. Isn't it? Yeah, it's terrible. Stupid this is a bad system. budget thing that is buggy, ugly, and no fun to play at all. And stupid as well. Dream scooters for ninjas. When did ninjas have scooters? Just something that should, should never have been. Well, or do they? That's the debate, isn't it? With, uh, <laughs> Back in feudal Japan, we found good, well, some a, drawings a, a of ninjas modern, on scooters. <laughs> a good modern urban ninja who is trying to infiltrate the gangs of the park would disguise himself as somebody that carried a scooter. Therefore, he is more ninjury. I'm giving you some side eye. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying it's just... just it's just a fact. Uh-huh. Um, I do want to mention uh, the front cover because <laughs> this is a particularly <laughs> bad front cover. Is 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 in his blue what blue overalls? He's got mismatched shoes. It ain't good. <laughs> he's got mismatched shoes, and he's doing the loser sign. Yeah, it ain't good. <laughs> he's calling someone a loser. <laughs> well, in the back, and he's got big brown wheels, and he's massively. What's the perspective on that scooter? Um, pass. <laughs> But the bit where he's got his foot on, he's not level. He's not right with the wheels. And that back wheel is massive. <laughs> also as well, on either side, there's two floating skulls, toothless skulls. And in the back, there's a, there's what looks like a grey ninja just half drawn on a, no, back, on a good, background of pink neon stripes. No, no, not good. <laughs> it's awful. Oh, there we go. Ninja scooter simulator. What a dreadful no. thing. Terrible, terrible no. thing. Let's move not on. Good. Let's move no. on. We've got another budget game coming up. Uh, and that one is, well, it's Dizzy. Dizzy, Graham. Dizzy has arrived. Dizzy. Yeah, my head I'm is so spinning. Dizzy, my head um, is spinning. So this is the first in a long line of platform adventures. This is Dizzy, or to give it its full title, Dizzy, the Ultimate Cartoon Adventure. There's a deep and funny story for this game, so I'll just read direct from the cassette inlay so you can all get a feel for it. Please. Right, so Dizzy was exploring the haunted forest, looking for berries, flowers, and a piece of wood with which to make a club. When he uncovered a mystifying stone slab, brushing the dirt aside, he was able to read, after a great deal of head scratching, the faint inscription, the Athel something potion. I can't read it. I don't know what it says. Dizzy remembered his egg father had spoke of such a potion. It is the only way to rid our our land of athlete's foot, and it can also be used to destroy the evil wizard Zax. Dizzy trembled with fear as he recalled these words. 
Zax brought fear to the village. He cast spells that turned people old, made men blind and caused it to rain every Sunday afternoon during cricket. Dizzy was determined to put a stop to all this. He would be hero of the yoke folk, he read on. Fill a potion bottle with cooked leprechaun's wig, clouds silver lining, vampire ducks feather and some troll brew, cook the potion and throw it at Zax to dissolve his reign. He covered it up quickly, <laughs> ma- made ready to liberate the land of Katmandu. What? <laughs> I don't yeah, know. What were they I on? Fr- I think the fridge in the uh, in the woods has opened up again. <laughs> so I think they was going to say. I think them bloody the Oliver twins have just uh, they've been eating the wrong kind of mushrooms. I think. <laughs> I don't know what any of that means. Uh, the Avo. Oh, I see. It's the Avo Whiff of E potion. Oh yeah. Uh, Avo Whiff uh, of E. Uh, uh, anyway, that's that's. <laughs> That's the inlay. There's a hint in this as well. It says, try greasing the old rusty mining cart. Sounds yeah. painful. <laughs> sounds, like a, sounds like a metaphor I've ever... You ain't greasing no one, Eggman. <laughs> yeah, try greasing the old rusty mining cart so I can fit the egg in. <laughs> it's a euphemism I've not heard before, but... That's not something I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I felt a dark shadow in the force. <laughs> Greasing the old rusty mining cart. What are you doing in there? Just I'm letting the egg in. I'm letting the egg in because I've greased the old rusty mining cart. God's sake. It's too dark park, that. <laughs> oh, dear. Anyway. Uh <laughs> We're ruining Dizzy for so many people right now. I would have thought, right, finally we've got the classic egg game and we'd love it, but, you know, I'm just shoving it up a rusty mining cart by the sounds of it. Um, (laughs) Lubricated, at least. (laughs) It only says try greasing. (laughs) That's just... (laughs) At least least the T at the D. No one wants to be dry greased. (laughs) (laughs) Cry cry greasing. (laughs) You ain't cry greasing no one, Eggman. Oh, dear. Right. (laughs) This was originally created by the Oliver Twins on the Spectrum and Amstrad. Uh, The C64 port is by Ian Gray, graphics by James Wilson, and music by David Blink and You'll Miss the Loop Whittaker. Mm. From the very outset, the Spectrum Heritage is strong in this one. The title screen with its high-res image is pretty much identical to the Spectrum front screen, except we do get some extra trees on either side. Nice. Ooh. Uh, the game, though, is nearly identical, with no real attempt to make this look like a C64 game, aside from getting rid of the color clash, which it does, I guess. Uh, Dizzy, and indeed all the sprites, are single-color creations. Dizzy himself is a big white egg with arms and legs, um, and controls are simple enough with left and right for movement, up for jump, and a fire button to pick stuff up. I have to say I don't like this setup. I think fire for jump and down for picking stuff up would have been better. Yep. Uh, it's simple, really. It's using the diagonals for jump. When the fire button is right there, <laughs> just yep. there, always seems the better option. Anyway, the game itself is a flick screen adventure. It's one of them where you have to wander and jump over the landscape, avoiding the random things that might kill you. So Dizzy is a very fragile egg, I noted. Even a drop of water falling from a cloud will smash his shell in. Um, pick up objects and use them where they need to be used in order to create the potion to kill Zax. That's what this is. So yes, this is another in the long line of walking 20 screens to the right to pick up the fish to go back and drop it by the pot sort of all thing right. that we've bemoaned all the way back with everyone to Wally. It's another one of them. Yep. I wasn't a big fan of Dizzy's jump and roll, as more often than not, I would over jump and roll off the platform I was attempting to land on. 
That's annoying. Yeah. Um, I'm also not a big fan of randomly flying enemies like the birds in this. As trying to make a jump whilst the bird move, whilst the bird just moves and changes direction with no warning is irritating. Um, quite often I got killed by that because I couldn't. Yeah. You can't. You can't plan for randomness. Random direction no. changes, especially when no, once can't. the jump is in motion, it's in motion. Yes, you can't stop um, an egg. No, you cannot stop a spinning egg, um, even a greased one. <laughs> <laughs> with the rusty mining car as long as it's not even for your rusty mining car you're all. <laughs> all right. you might survive it you might survive it um, just be a fucking a, oh <laughs> <laughs> and then a oh it's cracked <laughs> oh, that's your coming out <laughs> so do I <laughs> <laughs> it might not be egg yolk ah <laughs> uh, precious yolk <laughs> I'm, I'm sipping my precious yolk. <laughs> All precious <the> fluids. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> oh, my God. So, If you like Dizzy, I'm so sorry we're ruining it for you now. <laughs> it's the only way we get through these games somehow. <laughs> it, is, it is sometimes. <laughs> anyway, yeah, these birds run around. I, yeah, and yeah, I, yes, before you say it, I managed to get the bird seed and to kill them, um, but then I can't carry anything else, you know, you know so... Although it is good that they do stay dead, so that's one thing. But you have to jump past one of these bloody birds to get the bird seed. You do. <sighs> anyway, it's aye, one of those. Multi screen, random around, find the bits, do the stuff, whatever. I, I can see why people like this. I do. It's for two quid. I guess it's not bad. It's all right for one of these. But however, this version is inferior in the speed and responsiveness to the Spectrum version, which is faster. Um, there's slowdown in this as well on certain screens when more than a couple of things are moving. Um, and I'm guessing that's because this hasn't been really optimized for the C64. I think this is just Spectrum code, probably just ported over. I'm, I'm guessing yeah. wouldn't, surprise, wouldn't surprise me because it does. It looks like Spectrum code. It feels like Spectrum code. It runs slower. It shouldn't run slower. We've seen games like this run perfectly smooth and fast. Look, you know, we've got Impossible Mission. For Christ's sake, Impossible yeah. Mission suffers no yeah. slowdown with loads of stuff moving because it's optimized for the C64. There's no reason why three yep. things moving on the screen should make you start yep. to move like treacle. It's just, it's just not. It's bad optimization. As simple as that. And it is what it is. It's not the last we'll see of Dizzy. Do you know there are nine more games in the series coming to the I know, coming? there's a few, isn't there? Nine. Yeah. So there's ten games on total. Coins yeah. Lemon 64. Nine. 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 <laughs> nine. <laughs> nine egg. Nine egg. <laughs> nine with your rusty mining cart. I do hope the games get better, though. This didn't do anything for me. I feel they won't. I feel we're just going to get more of this. Um, I just find these wander and find stuff to backtrack past boring enemies and jumps dull as hell. And this game did nothing to turn me on the genre. It's just boring and dull, and I don't like it. I really didn't. What about you? Nah, no. These the games aren't generally my thing anyway. But I mean, it's it's good value. Um, and I'm and I have to say, I'm all for a game where you play an egg. I mean, that's just, yeah, you know, exactly, that's just yeah. good design. Exactly. That's just good, good old-fashioned design. But a flick screen adventure, we've seen a few of them. Um, and you either like these kind of flick screen, sort of, you know, wander around, pick it up, move it along, pick it up, drop it down, do that. You either like them or you don't. I don't. Um, this is obviously, its home is on the spectrum. And on that, it's probably a bit of a bona fide classic, I think. Certainly made a name for the Oliver Twins with it, didn't they? Um, mm-hmm. This conversion, it's a bit cutesy, but it's also a bit clumsy, isn't it? It's been clumsily handled, so... Um, it's you know got a lot of flicky graphics going on, like you said, and it's not very nice. It's akin to that Monty on the Run school of games, isn't it? But without the pace, music, graphics, fun. It's not like Monty on the Run at all, really, actually. <laughs> it. 
it, but that that sort of style of game's kind of been we've been there, done that like so many times now. I mean, in this one, you flap, walk, and roll, um, which you know no one really wants to do, did they? Really? No. Um, and again, you're doing that around sort of spectrum backgrounds, essentially avoiding spectrum-like enemies in a spectrum game on a Commodore 64. Well, we've done that before as well. You know, roll on the adventure and the good times. Um, I like the details on the trees. Some of the graphic details I quite liked in this. So I quite I quite like those little bits because that that's that. T- 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 turn of shading that sometimes these games can look quite nice in they do a little bit mm-hmm. rest of it not so much um i just found that like you said controlling dizzy itself considering it's an egg um with you know legs and that it's just you know he tumbles and you know, bobbles about and I, I, no, I just didn't get on with it i found him needlessly clumsy and that made the, the game in turn needlessly difficult to navigate and just found like you said like you said overshooting things all the time there's probably mileage in a game like this if you like this and you like doing the maps for it and you like you know and figuring out that you needed to get the key from screen 17 to screen two. And that, that means avoiding the flappy doodah bird and the ning nang tree and the hee hee and all that. Um, so if that's your thing, this is well designed and it's right up your street for a couple of quid. And it's about, and, and of all the games that we played out of those, it's a very average one of them. There's nothing great about it. It's, it's, it'll function. You'll, you'll be able to complete it, no doubt, at some point. It got 48%, pretty much bang on in the middle. It's an average version of one of these games for two quid. So yeah. Like the game last in the last episode that we played, uh, Metropolis, it's the same sort of idea. You know, it's just another game, another game of one of those games. So, mm. you know, Philly Boots, if you like that, but if you don't, avoid, avoid Indeed. it. And I'd never thought you saying that about an egg game. No, I wouldn't either. You know, probably more fun to grease the old rusty mining cart, I think. Exactly, yeah. I think more fun doing that. And for God's sake, don't look over the egg. Just don't. You know, <laughs> You're going to need times. proper greasing for that. <laughs> you will, yeah. That's You don't want that. Wouldn't be a different not. alien film, wouldn't it, if the... If they were all dizzy eggs and the face took a shot out of a dizzy egg and then just shot right up your ass. <laughs> That's not where I thought that was going. This is what he, which is what he said in the film. <laughs> yeah. It's like they're not face huggers, they're bum stuffers. This is a whole different kind of alien ship. That'd be really awkward, wouldn't it, if it didn't actually go on his face and sort of do that, just glued itself to his ass cheeks and he couldn't sit down. I was like, oh, it's, it's really sore. <laughs> It's doing something down there. <laughs> then it just dropped off. Don't want to know where it explodes from. And the yolk came out. <laughs> it was like, that's not yolk. Um, I don't anyway. want to think about this anymore. Enough, enough me, of that now. That's, it's making me feel it's a bit it's, it's dizzy. Making you feel dizzy. I feel dizzy. <laughs> my really head is spinning. That's how we started that review off. Yeah, I did. Full yeah. circle. circle. Like yeah, a mining circles. car, I'm well greased. <laughs> it's a circle full it's an oval circle it's an egg shape, yeah, an egg shape. <laughs> well, let's move on quickly i think We've we got should one game left <laughs> let's do <try, laughs> one more game god's sake oh. this is over to you graham right in your wheelhouse this one this is football manager 2 <laughs> <laughs> published by addictive games Coded by, of course, the powerful eyebrows of Kevin Toms. Kevin Tomatoes. Kevin Toms. Yeah, Kevin Tomatoes. Kevin Toms. He's in the Bedroom to Billions um, movie documentary. He's interviewed in that. I think he's in that one of the Amiga one. Anyway, he's got crazy eyebrows, very powerful eyebrows. Anyway. Um, now, considering we complained bitterly about Football Manager loading times, this one was like like bloody instant. Yeah. If that's a crack or if it's just like that, I don't know. This was like fast. This was like yes. lightning. Yeah, it is. It is. So I'm guessing there's, we've upped our ante to machine code now, I think, is the, I think so. the telltale sign of machine code there, or an expert cartridge. Anyway, um, 
I don't know much about the football manager games at all. Very little. So I'm actually just going to go through my experience of this game because I don't generally go for that kind of thing. So I'm going to walk you through what I did as the manager of the team I chose and just talk, go through the options as I came across them as a person that's never really played a football manager game his whole life. So now that's where I'm coming from. So I'm, you know, I'm a target audience, really. I'm, could they convert me to liking this kind of thing? Maybe, who knows? Let's try it. Let's try it. Try. So this is how I, I approach this because um, what can you say about football manager games other than that you, it's a base, you know, it's a sequel to football manager, which is a massively successful game in its own right and spawned so many sequels. It's crazy. I mean, this is just sequel number two. There's loads more, isn't there? There's loads of them. Loads I think, uh, yeah, I don't know if they're, they're spawned from the same, the, the modern sort of premier football manager or whatever it's well, called. Like, different leagues, but the same sort of idea of managing a yeah, football team. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so the loading was fast. Um, I, when it started, I could choose Everton or not. Um, so I chose not, and then it said Liverpool or not. I thought we could go on for a long time doing this. Why don't you just present me with a drop-down menu with all of the teams in it so I could pick one? Why do I have to go through them all one at a time? Anyway, I ch- and it didn't say Liverpool, by the way. It said Liverpool. So it's Liverpool P and then apostrophe L, Liverpool. Could, so yeah. I chose Liverpool. I chose Liverpool. Um, so And that was purely just to save my life from draining any further at this point. So then I could choose some sponsorship from Major Bank PLC. I, I chose to try and get more out of them. It didn't work. So I ended up getting a blank loan for £36,600 with a management rating of 50. I have no idea what the hell that means. It means 50. <laughs> it's 50. It's better than 49. That's what it is. Less than 51. I chose skill level one, which is easy. And then I got my management record, which was blank, aside from my rating as one now, which I thought I'd been downgraded by 49. Seems a bit harsh. Mm. And I could load and save my game at that point. I didn't choose to. And then my next thing, you, you progress on this, by the way, by generally by yes, no options and pressing the button, which is nice. Keep, Keep that part simple. Nice. I like that. Just yes, no. Do, do are you doing this? Are you doing that? No. That's quite a nice in on these games. I was expecting this to be a full on stat spreadsheet uh-huh. in front of me, in all honesty. And it totally surprised me that it wasn't that. My first league match was versus Cardiff, who were positioned 13 in the league versus my position 24. I don't know what league that is. And this time, is it League Four for uh, this? I think you yeah, start in the prob- lower leagues. Probably, yeah, yeah. I chose my squad at this point. So you presented, and each, for each one of these, is mainly text. At this point, you presented with a sort of a view of the pitch from three different positions. Obviously, uh, defence, midfield, and then attack. Mm-hmm. And this is where you sort of position the players from the teams. I have no idea what any of their stats meant. <laughs> the higher um, the number, the better, I think. Well, I, I just picked some familiar names. In, the, in my team, I had names like Barnes, Lineker, Beardsley, and Cotty. Tony Cotty, yeah. So I picked them. No, I don't know if I picked them, put them in the right positions or not. <laughs> um, so I just put them in what I thought. Seemed like a nice place for them to be. Did you put them all up front? Um, uh, certainly Barnes was up front. Right. Um, there was a little so, A, D or M next to him, which was adv- yeah, attack yeah, defense yeah. midfield. Yeah, I didn't. I just put them where I thought they looked nice. Um, <laughs> so I put them. It took me ages as well. It took ages it and ages. To it took, it's out. really unintuitive, that, that sequence. That yeah, it's because it's sort of, you sort of, it, it goes back up to yes, no, and you sort of click on the thing and then it's, it's a bit, you figure it out in the end, but it's a bit, yeah. ass about, ass about face. So um, so I put them in positions with the joystick. I didn't have a clue really what I was doing, um, but I managed to somehow get enough players on the pitch to start the game. So the game started. And immediately Barnes scored for Liverpool within like the first second. It was quite glorious, actually. And then about a second later, Wright scored for Cardiff. And then it was uh. that was the same until the second half. And Cardiff scored again. I was like, oh, no. 
And this part is a representation of the game told through the medium of Blocky. Um, <laughs> it's all told through Blocky. Um, and it's passable Blocky, I suppose, but Blocky is what it is. It was fun in a weird kind of way, I suppose. Well, a lot of fun, but it was, you know, I was watching stuff happen and it and it happened. Barnes scored a last minute equaliser, literally Oof. like one minute. So, so it was 2-2, which meant that it went then from, to the league table um, with Liverpool now 18th. Um, unfortunately, I had some injuries. Barnes was injured and... I went to another screen, which told me my bank balance was 496,000, but my gate receipts were 9,000, which I thought, ah, but I have 13,000 overheads. So I'm no seasoned pro football manager, but I felt like I had a minus 4,000 pound profit from the get-go, which seemed didn't seem good, that. No. So it asked me if I wanted to sell any players. I thought, no, I'm best not. Did I want to buy any players? I thought, I'm in debt anyway, may as well. So I bought somebody called Lou Kick because it Luke, seemed Luke like Kitch. he had a... Oh, it's Lou Kitch. I, thought it, was Lu, I yeah. thought it was Lou Kick as it seemed like a logical name for a footballer to be called Kick. <laughs> Fair enough. John Lou Kitch. 90,000 he was. 90,000 I paid for him. Um, I did some extra passing training on increasing length. <laughs> yep. So uh, then it was back to the management record screen and the whole thing turned over again. My next game was an FA Cup round against Halifax. And so yeah. it kind of went on in that vein. And that was, the, and it played in the same way. And I imagine as you continue in the game, you just do more of that. And there's probably more things that pop up and injured players and things and trades and stuff like that. And you wait your way through a league. Now, um, it's never going to win any graphic awards, this, but it's not really about that, is it? And normally, a football game isn't going to be for me at all. Not only do I not really like football in particular, but I've never really been a player of it. I didn't dig it at school particularly. I was one of a bit of an, I was a chubby kid at school bit on the slow side. I'm not going to get picked for teams where I've got to run around and kick a ball in any meaningful direction. It's just not happening. Not, not my thing at all. Didn't really enjoy running about. Um, built for comfort, not speed really, when I was a teenager. <laughs> um, and no one in my family liked it either. So it wasn't a subject that ever came up in our house. My dad was in the Navy. My mum was not a f- football fan of any description. My brother was in the Navy. My sister's not going to like football, nor were they into football players. Football was not a thing that happened in our house. So... On the few occasions I did show interest in it, it was kind of just usurped into other stuff. And so it was never, you know, in some some families, football is the thing that is a key part of the, you know, familial relationship between brothers and family and siblings and all that. That didn't happen for me, so I didn't have that. And even the friends I had, albeit you were into football, football wasn't a thing that was our our friendship was founded upon or based upon. No. You and Gary obviously know a lot more about football and, and talk about the football stuff. And I never, I've never really, no, that's just not my thing. And that's fair enough. I get it. So on paper, this game should have had literally no appeal for me. I didn't have a clue what I was doing in mind in it at all. Mm-hmm. The names are meaningless. The positions are meaningless. It's all, I know, I know the basics of football and how it plays, but I'm not going to know if putting Barnes in the position I put him in was a good choice compared to putting Lineker in another position. And nor do I know whether they were good. I know the names. I don't know if they were really good names or bad names. You know, I know mm-hmm. Lineker because he became a crisp. And he salt Lineker crisps. <laughs> um, so all of that aside, um, it, this game had no appeal to me. But but it finally, I finally got to see why it would appeal to somebody. And this is it was quite an interesting epiphany, really, for me. Now I could sort of see how you'd want to build and save your teams and get them to where you'd want them to be. I can sort of see why you'd want to do that in a game like this. Mm-hmm. And having watched the Wrexham TV series on Netflix about um, Rob McElhenney and and Deadpool guy, what's his name, Ryan um, Reynolds, Ryan Reynolds, and watch. I know, and I know that's a kind of a glib representation of of it, but. That show is about the vicarious enjoyment of people that have not really been into football, finding a way into football. And I th- and it was kind of a, a parallel for me in this game in many ways. I know it's not an obvious parallel in any way, shape. I'm not a multimillionaire actor and I haven't just bought a football club. But 
the parallel for me is that it's just about getting into something that you would never normally get into and understanding why people get into it. And that was the kind of important part for me here. So seeing how you would build your team up, seeing how you would get it through the league, seeing how those games, even though they're blocky representations, though, seeing how that happens in front of you is very engaging if you're into that. There's no mm-hmm. way around that. And it is. And so, like I said, I've been watching Wrexham and seeing how engaging it can be. And I, and I admire the dedication of fans of that of the game in that way. Seeing, not the you know, the, the ones that have all troubles, just seeing how passionate and how, how embracing they are of that. So I can sort of see why, you know, I can sort of see where people in, get into that sport and where, and I sort of get it. I get that, the idea of it. Now, this game is is basic. There's no way around that. I don't mean coding based, but it's just basic in looks and feel, and it is. But it must have appealed to the football crowd in, in really core ways, in a way that I've never really understood, and, it, and I could sort of see why. Does it need fancy graphics? No. Much of the establishing notions of football, from my understanding, were based really originally around radio commentary and the video prints, if you weren't seeing it live. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't go to the match, you know, you would, you'd be, you would always be experiencing football vicariously, either highlights on a TV show, probably on the radio if you want to listen to it live, and to un- to understand the results of all the matches on a weekend, you'd be looking at a video printer on ITV going, that guy reading out the scores. No, and I, I remember l- listening to that guy droning on with the scores before Dr. Who came on, I think, because mm-hmm. that was what you had to sort of endure. And so I sort of get it. And I thought, you know what? That's how you understand. That's how football was understood. It wasn't just a, it wasn't just the football game itself. It's all the other stuff around that. And it's, and I could sort of get it. And I can see how these, this game taps directly into that, that part, that statistic part of football. It doesn't have to be about the actual physicality of running around on it. There is more, there is that other wrap around and this game is about that. And I found that really compelling. Um, so if you didn't see the game live, you'd be watching the highlights. This is obviously before Sky TV and all of that. So, you know, you'd be, you'd be vicariously enjoying football more often than not as a young person, because you'd be, Hearing it on radio, you'd be hearing people talk about it. You'd be maybe seeing it in the newspapers the next day um, and maybe watching some highlights, the odd match that might be on TV and things like that. All of it vicarious, which means a game that's based around the vicarious management of a football team is only going to be a success for that particular genre. And I get it now. And because I sort of got it, I really enjoyed playing it, which is something I never thought I would do. Genuinely interesting game. I have a clue what I was doing, but <laughs> it really, but it was, it was compelling enough to make me think, actually, I can, I get, I get why. When I was watching them games take place in Blocky World, when I, when I scored that final equaliser, I was like, yes, <laughs> it's really mad. I got really into it. So I think this game delivers on what it sets out to do. It may not be the best one in the world, but in my estimation, I was able to get in, watch a football match of people that I position, do the things I wanted them to do, buy and sell and do a bit of stuff. And then it sort of had an outcome and it sort of felt like it meant it did something. And, and that that was quite important for me. So I like it. What about you? Um, Yeah, I think I, I think that this, I think you've hit a, a, the nail very much on the head. And I think that this is aimed at people like you. <laughs> and I don't mm. mean that in a you as in, but I mean you as in who don't really have a penchant for football, who may not have the sort mm. of knowledge of the deepest aspects of it and things like that. So, I don't know how different it is to the Football Manager first game, you see. I never really played that. Um, I, I mean, I played that, and that's I, I, obviously I, I can't remember because I played that ages ago. But the thing with this, I mean, I will say, like I said, it's pretty fast. The menus are all snappy, and the in-game action is you know played at a, it's a, just an okay pace. It, you know, the sprites move around, the bounce ball bounce about. It's not slow or anything like that. My problem is, I think the thing that you probably liked about it is that it, it lacks any kind of depth beyond a few options. To call it a football manager game is a bit of a misnomer because all you can kind of do is pick a team and say yes to a few things. So football choices, maybe. Yeah, because yeah, you you know there's no there's no options for the kind of you know like 
um, there's no options for the kind of training. You know, you can't pick the t- type of training you might want to do, or it's just you, you get. Do you want to do some extra training? It's like, well, what what's the other training that's going on? You could, you could pick long and short passes. Yeah, you. Yeah, but, but what about the other? I want to well, lengthy passes in football manager games. You kind of pick. Do you want to train this? Do you want to train that? Do you want to, There's lots of yeah, different this options. This player, there. this player needs training like yeah, that. Yeah, and things like that. that. And, and so that kind of makes, there's no way to make subs apart from at half time. So you can't change, like, you can't change things up, um, which you can in some, you know, football, football manager games. Uh, you can't, you don't even have a system. There's no system. You can't change that. You either have, you, you pick your formation at the start and that's it. I mean, the only way you can do it is subs at half time, but then you're limited to that. So it, it feels, it feels for me, it was very lightweight. I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's it meant to be, though. I think, I don't know. It's a weird sort of thing, because I seem to remember Football Manager, the first one being more in-depth, even though it was basic, had more stuff going on around the edges, more stuff you could do. Maybe I'm misremembering it, I can't remember. But it just for me, this just felt like it had any real sense of strategy. It's like a simple thing, like, could have been like, okay, I'm, I'm put these players on, but we're 2-0 up, so now I just want to switch to defence because I just want to protect the lead. You know, that's simple. Just switch mode to defence. So just let him, you know, everyone back. We'll sit on this and we'll, and that's it. So that's how it should, you know, but here it's just like, no, the game just plays out. And, it, you know, you get those moments where you get the last minute equaliser and those things are brilliant because they, they do show like, oh, even in something like this where I'm, I'm not controlling this, but the choices I've made have happened and worked this way and it's happened this thing and that's great and all that. Yeah, I don't know. And uh, and obviously as someone who knows football and who, you know, grew up playing football and following football and, and all these players I'm very, very familiar with. Your Gary Lineker's, John Barnes, your Peter Bearsley, your Tony Cotters, your, your Gareth, um, what, uh, oh, what's the goalkeeper's name? Who's uh, Gareth Southall or is... I knew most of them, so it start to start you with the best players around at the time when you're in Division Four. It just seemed very odd. It seemed a very odd choice. Normally in football manager games, you get Wright or you get Smith, Jones, just a load of nobodies because you're in Division Four, and so it felt weird because I just picked a team and I just run rampant over everyone. I won three nil, four nil. I was like, because I knew the players, which so is put them there, put them done. Okay, so I don't know. It, it was okay. I don't mind it. I'm very happy that you enjoyed it. I think that's cool because you've never really been a fan of these kind of of things. I I found an in. You found an in and you found a game that like gave you that, you know, she said that vicarious to the football management because it is very satisfying when you make choices and those choices give, you know, beneficial results. It's like, cool. It's like, you know, um, that's good. I just found it just a bit lightweight, but maybe that's what it was trying to do. Um, I don't know. I did like a few yeah, more options. Oh, I, just, yeah, I just would have liked a few more options. I thought for the first time around, okay, when it's just, I played it a few loops and it's just the same thing. And I just wanted a bit more, a bit more depth to it. And I, that's what I think was a bit, just a bit lacking. Yeah. Here. I did, um, did because Zap? I think Zap's principally said the same thing. I think they said it was, was as in depth thing. Cause I remember the review. It's well since I read the review about a week. But, yeah, I'm trying well, to think they, if, what was that because they gave it seventy one percent, didn't they? Yeah, seventy one percent. Yeah, I think that's about right. It's a bit cheeky as well because Zappa put an Amiga screenshot in this review. Oh, that's a bit low. So you've got two screenshots here. One is and the one at the bottom is from the game, and then the second one is like from behind the net, and it says, "Let's have an action mm. replay of that goal." So I had a quick look on uh, Moby Games, and it's the it's the it's an Amiga shot, it's an Amiga mm, screenshot. Low. And you can tell as well because the players are very different. The net's really well shaded. Um, mm. Yeah, it's a bit dubious that. Not sure what that's all about. I mean, so like I said, it's not terrible. It's all right. It's just a bit lightweight for for something where you just wanted to. It's like being able to. I don't know. So just other stuff you can normally do in these games that you want there. And I think that's what was missing. But but it moved fast. That was one thing. It wasn't like tracksuit manager or whatever it was on the double. Um, no. you know we have to put it on four hundred percent warp speed. I just noticed as well in a little bit of blurb. It says um, 
a, a customizing utility um, came out for this um, in 1989. They called it the Football Manager Two Expansion Kit. Um, so I'm guessing that these some of these maybe some of the things that you were you're talking of there maybe they were addressed in later in that later oh, update or something like that. Mm, maybe, maybe, yeah. Anyway, there you go. Football Manager. It's all, it's all right. I didn't mind it, but it just you know it, it just was lacking some of the things I look for in those kind of games. And I, and I know it's 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 old, but it just I think we could have it's been ironic because that was that quote says so there is sufficient depth, particularly in the training section. <laughs> yeah, well, well, yeah. I, was like, well, I don't think I did. I mean, I'm no expert, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't that deep. I had two options, no. short or long. <laughs> yeah, no. Maybe it gets better as you go along. I don't know. Maybe it did. I don't know. Maybe it did. Anyway, there we go. That's Football Manager two. Certainly loads faster than Football Manager. That's for sure. Just a bit. And that's it. That's it for this episode. We've looked at eight games. Um, what games have we looked at? Well, we looked at Last Ninja Two, um, mm. which we was out. We did. Did we mention that, that was twelve ninety nine? By the way, as well. No, I didn't mention the price. Did I mention the price? I don't remember mentioning the price. But yeah, it's twelve ninety nine. Was that tape? Yeah, came with two tapes though, didn't it? I know, but you know, considering you know, best best sequel to the best game ever which changed the world and sort of led to world peace. It's like the Bill and Ted song. There's a message on the front of the instructions um, on the tape version that says, this game is unbreakable. You will not be able to copy this game. Oh, right. Yeah, it was it, two days later, it was cracked by Akari. <laughs> what was that crack we were playing? <laughs> that was cracked by Akari, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Two days later. Uh, anyway, Last Ninja 2, not ninjury enough. No, no. Did itself That's a nin- ninjury. <laughs> Did itself an injury <laughs> by not being ninjury enough. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, not enough ninjuriness. The Rogue, which was, it wasn't great. Night Racer, no. nice pine trees. Very nice pine tree. Very nice that. pine trees. Very Typhoon, nice. surprisingly good. Yeah. Surprisingly, yeah, surprisingly yeah, decent odd. blaster, yeah. that one. Real president, surprise, that one. Yeah, the president is missing. Hard to get hard hard in, but you have to. <laughs> <laughs> the egg game it next, is it? Oh, my God. Yeah. Ninja Scooter Simulator, <laughs> which ironically was more ninjury. Yes, in a twist, a vicious twist. <laughs> a vicious twist, but was still shit. Uh, Dizzy, <laughs> uh, which was greasing the rusty mining cart. God, to, to, my head's get, still spinning. To get the egg in. <laughs> oh, God's sake. <laughs> yes, uh, just uh, get a, keep, keep your yoke to yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah finally, Football Manager 2, uh, which was, you know, which is okay, which is okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, I'm glad you like that. I am, I am actually very yeah, glad yeah. you like that. Um, and that was it. That was it for this week. Now, next week is our... Episode 100. We've got stuff. Lots of we've got stuff. We've got oh lots of stuff God, planned. Stuff. That. So there's, um, I, you know, I don't envy you having to edit this one together. <laughs> oh, it's going to be <laughs> a bloody nightmare. Uh, we've got guests. We've got guest reviews. We've got people in. We've got all kinds of stuff planned, we and have. hopefully we'll come together. And I hope it all does all come together. So it could be interesting. Um, what games are we looking at? Uh, well, we're looking at Salamander. Ooh la la! Uh, indeed, we've got Izera. Ooh la lee. Ooh la lee. Uh, Blood Brothers. <laughs> ah la la. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> la la. <laughs> Empire Strikes Back. Jalalai. Jalalai. Netherworld. Oh, God. I don't know about that one. It's got a high score, though. Um, as, long as, you, as long as you're greased. <laughs> the greased your... egg can come into your netherworld. It's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> the beach buggy simulator. What is it with these simulators? I've got a funny feeling that's exactly the same as Ninja Scooter Simulator. Oh, it could very well be Road Blasters, mm, um, and then and then it. the prequel to the sequel we've already had. Uh, Nighttime. We're gonna have it's, it's one of one of those stupid walk and seek games every week now. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, it's just, it's just, it's just the way one. of life. Uh, yeah. yeah, that's it. So that's what we've got coming up next week. So along with all the other stuff we've got planned for episode 100. So um, we hope you enjoyed this. Have you got anything you want to add before we, you know, episode 99? Go and play it. some of the games we've mentioned. For the first time ever, I feel like we can recommend some games to go and play. Definitely check out, obviously, Last Ninja 2. You know, two but do check out Typhoon. I think it's a nice surprise. Always have time for night racers. Amazing pine, nighttime pine <laughs> driving effect. <laughs> Um, and if you do fail, like you've, you know, you want to explore the world of egg insertion, I would avoid dizzy <laughs> as a concept. Yeah, Just I, would. Do it. I would. I would. Uh, I think on that note, we should sign off. It feels I like a long episode, but there we go. Uh, as ever, I have been Adrian Mills. I have been Graham. No eggs in my bottom raddings. <laughs> and you have been listening to Greasing the Rusty Minecart, and we will see you again <laughs> next week. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, me yolk. <laughs> I'm, I'm dripping albumen. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, films and TV from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine published at that time. We will return with a whole new batch of games and stuff to talk about next week. Until then, if you want to listen to or download previous episodes of Zap to the Past, and why wouldn't you? They can all be found on our website at zaptothepast.com, as well as being available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, Audible, Player FM, and, well, pretty much anywhere where we can upload them. By the way, we do always love to hear from our amazing listeners, so if you'd like to contact us about anything in the podcast or beyond, you can do so by emailing us at zaptothepast at gmail.com. We're also active on Twitter under at Zaptother, as well as Facebook, Instagram, and most social media platforms. Just search for Zap to the Past and you'll find us. Oh, and if you like the podcast and what we're doing, please do like, share, review, rate us. It really helps. Something, apparently. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers, and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe, see you next time, and remember, we play these games so you don't have to.